everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. We are 100% sponsor-based, which means that all the revenues we derive come from sponsorships. But I try to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically trying to choose those who have values well aligned to the values expressed on this show, like freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do is a few ad reads right here at the top of the show and then a few ad, ad reads in the middle. And I hope you won't skip them. I hope you'll take the time, listen and see what they have to offer, because again, these are hand selected sponsors. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Swan Private is a concierge financial services firm based in Los Angeles. Now, I've known the Swan team for years, and these guys are laser focused on the Bitcoin mission. They even have a zero tolerance policy for all shitcoining. Recently, their CEO, Corey Clipston, was instrumental in calling out many of these crypto scams right before they collapsed, saving a lot of people a lot of money in the process. Swan Private focuses on guiding high net worth individuals and businesses on all aspects of Bitcoin strategy, including buying, custodying, and market research. This concierge service provides you direct access to a private advisor by text, phone, or email. So go to swanprivate.com slash breedlove today to sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Ledin. Ledin lets you do more with your digital assets. For instance, Ledin offers a B2X loan product that lets you leverage your existing Bitcoin to buy even more Bitcoin. Or you can also get traditional Bitcoin collateralized US dollar loans through Ledin as well. Ledin also offers both Bitcoin and USDC denominated savings accounts, letting you generate yield on your digital assets. Recently, Ledin has launched a Bitcoin mortgage product as well that lets you use Bitcoin to buy a home or finance one that you already own. So go to Ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io today to sign up. Emerson Sparts, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Thanks, excited to be here. It's great to have you, man. Uh, we've been talking about doing this episode for a really long time, uh, just by way of Quick introduction for my audience. You are the founder of Nonlinear, which is a nonprofit focused focused on making sure AI goes well. That seems like a pretty important mission. Um, yep. <laughs> let's start. So let's start there. Just because you have a very interesting story, background. You're a very unique person in many ways. So maybe you could just start um, sharing kind of your. I really enjoyed your professional journey too, like how you how you grew up and then how you got into the working world and then where you are today. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this is, uh, I'm really excited to be here also because I'm a huge fan of the show. I've actually, Thank you, you and I, like we're friends and we, we talk sometimes, but like we've hung out so much more than you realize because I've listened to you talk to so many people and uh, I've, we, we have lots of hours of one way uh, dialogue here where I've been, a, I've, been a, I've been able to sit at the table and listen in on some really, really extraordinary conversations. 
so thank you for for this show and putting in the time to learn out loud because learning out loud is uh the leverage is just insane because you get yeah. to have conversations with some of the most interesting people in the world and then you get this giant multiplier where someone like me instead of having to go through the trouble of like booking these people as guests and then scheduling and all that i can just like listen to you guys talk at 3x uh, and just like pound through your whole backlog of uh, your, your deep, deep archive. It is truly, truly wonderful to be alive in the year 2022. <laughs> this, is, this is the reality. Like you don't have to learn by like going and making friends with people. You can learn by just like listening to two of the smartest people in the world talk about something that you're deeply interested in, no matter how fucking niche it is. You can listen to people and nerd out about it whenever you want, at whatever speed you want, like whether you're shitting, showering, shaving, going for a walk, it's just yeah. it's magical. It really is. Uh, I one of the things Jordan Peterson said um, that the the spoken word now has the reach and permanence of the written word in the digital age, and that the cost of bandwidth too has gone to you know virtually zero. So now we have this. I don't know the global communication system seems to be revving up the global hive mind in a way. So it's very encouraging to me to hear people like you engaging with with dialogue and finding it very useful and it becomes a whole lifestyle right now. I mean, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about how you do it, but like I spend most of my time reading and then when I'm not reading, I'm listening to podcasts or other people talking. So it's like this constant educational existence. Yep. And this podcast, your podcast in particular is where some of the highest level conversations are happening. You know, there's lots of podcasts that are kind of relevant for people at different levels, like different interests or just kind of different like intellectual skill levels. Like there's like certain skill trees they built out or haven't built out. And this podcast in particular is where like the highest level conversations are happening. And so I was really, I was actually thinking about it. I was like, man, out of all the podcasts, I've listened to literally thousands of different podcasts at this point because I consume a lot of podcasts. And like, I was thinking like, man, I probably have like hundreds of hours of just this one podcast. And just again, think of the multiplier of that. Like you, the fact that you just record your conversations means that like I have now spent hundreds of hours, although you have to multiply, because I listen to 3X, so it's not literally hundreds of hours in the same way, but you get the idea. Anyway, like that's just a crazy multiplier. 3X, I didn't I didn't even know, I didn't know that was a, even a setting. When yeah. I go to 2X, I'm kind of losing my mind. How do you, okay. well, I'll just let you go into that. that. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, but first, let me let me uh, give some little more of a personal background, because otherwise, I'm going to say a bunch of shit that's going to sound kind of crazy. It'll still probably sound crazy once you hear my background, but it'll seem a little bit less crazy because at least I'll seem like a competent enough human to like be making outrageous claims like this uh, that are at least somewhat supported by some evidence of success. Um, okay, so my story. So uh, when I was 12, I convinced my parents to let me drop out of school and homeschool myself. A month later, created MuggleNet, which is the number one Harry Potter website. And that was just one crazy learning experience after the next, uh, because MuggleNet um, quickly became one of the biggest websites of the early 2000s. And we had one of the biggest forums online, one of the biggest fan fiction sites. We had a the number one podcast in the world for a while, like not just for Harry Potter, but for all podcasts. Um, we had a New York Times bestselling book. So we used to go on tour and live like rock stars. It was wild. And aside from that, my parents let me study whatever I wanted with one exception. They had me read four short biographies of successful people every day. And this just shattered my little 12-year-old mind. And I started thinking really big because you know that quote, like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with? Well, I was spending like several hours a day, like hanging out with the world's most successful people of all time. And so it, you can't help but start to think like, yeah, of course, like everyone changes the world. I can change the world too. So I decided that I wanted to change the world on the biggest scale possible. I wanted to be number one 
whatever that means in terms of like having created the largest positive impact in the world. I was like, when I die, I want to be number one on the leaderboard of like largest positive impact in the world. Um, I basically kind of like, if you know the effective altruism movement, which is basically like, think of the nerdiest people who care the most about altruism and philanthropy and like apply like rigorous, like epistemics and intellectual rigor to like figure out how to do the most good, like per dollar and so on. Um, that's a, my, one of my communities that I'm a part of basically like that kind of mindset when I was younger. So, okay, so how do I do the most good? So I read this biography of Bill Gates and I saw like, wait, Bill Gates became the richest person in the world. And now he's giving away all of his money. And the Gates Foundation is on track to save 10 million lives this decade. That's fucking awesome. Like, that's awesome. Like, what a hero. That's like, that, that to me just, I found that to be deeply inspirational. Um, because it's one thing to like get to the top of one leaderboard in success, but something to get to the top of like two leaderboards in success, especially two really competitive leaderboards like that. So I was like, okay, so like, you know, 12 year old Emerson's like, all right, so I got to become the richest person in the world. And then I'm going to give all my money away and I'm going to do the most good. I don't know how I'm going to do the most good, but I'm going to figure that out later. I'm going to start by just, you know, becoming the richest person in the world. So I was like, well, how do I become the richest person in the world? Like, well, I probably need to be the smartest person in the world because I need to, because like the smarter you are, the easier it is to make money. Okay. So how do you become the smartest person in the world? Well, if you want to become the smartest person in the world, um, you have to be the best learner in the world. How do you become the best learner in the world? Never heard anyone talking about like how to become the best learner in the world. All right, well, let me go figure it out. So I, I went deep into the literature on learning how to learn. And I found out that there wasn't actually very much, there's not that many researchers that actually study how to learn uh, more effectively. And that's crazy if you think about it. Like, how is this not one of the most like well-studied fields in the world? Like what could be more important than learning more efficiently, learning faster? Because learning to learn is the root of every other skill. So if you learn something that's the root of every other skill, you have the philosopher's stone. Like you can turn anything into gold. You know, it's like the it's the metaphorical, the alchemical, like ideal of like you can develop the new, you can get any new skill you want whenever you need it. Um, if you're if you can if you can develop a new skill like a hundred times faster than like you know somebody else, then um, it just increases your degrees of freedom massively for what you can actually do with your life. So, so I was like, wow, learning how to learn is like wishing for more wishes. You can always just accumulate more skills. You can do more things. So, okay, so how do I do that? So um, not much in that field. So I was like, I got to use myself as a guinea pig. But hold on, pause for a second. So first, there's like two separate kind of threads here. The second one is like my other big obsession, aside from learning to learn, was virality. Because I was like, man, if you can make things go viral, that's like having a human superpower. Uh, you could tip elections. You could overthrow dictators. You could start movements. You could revolutionize industries. And so that kind of began a lifelong obsession with figuring out how to engineer uh, viral content um, systematically. And this ended up being um, the thing that most people actually know me for is virality, um, because uh, we, yeah, we science the shit out of it. And um, later, I'll get to this part of the story, but uh, built up one of the largest online media companies with 50 million monthly visitors, raised like $35 million in capital. And it was basically all just like, um, how do you apply data to the process of making viral content? Um, and then... These two things will merge back in later. But first, okay, pause. So I decided to go to college for fun, but I got bored very predictably and I was going to drop out and start another business. Uh, before I did though, I wanted to go really broad. Um, so I set a goal of reading one nonfiction book every single day until graduation. And uh, that habit has uh, stuck. And I, for the last 15 years, I've been averaging about one book a day. Um, but I realized very quickly, so I'm going through a book a day and I'm like, man, this is great. I'm like getting exposed to a lot of ideas, but I'm like not retaining shit. So how do I increase my ability to retain the information? And um, so I built out all these different systems to maximize our attention, mostly using things like spaced repetition. So I'd review everything that I wanted to remember a day later, a week later, a month later, and then every six months in perpetuity. And the third part of the process though, so it was like reading, retaining, and then applying. So the big question is like, okay, so you read it, you retain it, but so what? Like you need to be able to apply it in the real world. If you want to become the smartest person in the world, you want to become the richest person in the world, you got to be able to apply this shit, right? So how do you do that? 
So I, I made a list of like the most important skills. I was like, okay, if you want to become number one, like what are the skills you need? Like, well, you need to be like top tier at like persuasion, negotiation, innovation, et cetera. So I'll give you an example. So basically I went, um, I, I was like, I, I did a whole bunch of iterations on, okay, so there's this, so if you go into the science of practice, um, there's a, there's like a field of study called deliberate practice. Basically it's like, if you science the shit out of like, how do you practice as scientifically efficiently as possible? You get to like deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is like, how do you get good feedback loops? Um, how do you make them as tight as possible, et cetera. So, okay. So here's an example of some deliberate practice things that I did. So most of the literature was about like athletes, but I was like, well, I'm not an athlete. I'm kind of an athlete. I'm like, okay, actually an athlete analogy actually resonates. Like if you, if you took it, if you took the idea of like, I want to be the world's best learner as seriously as like, I want to be the world's best, like Olympian in a sport, like skiing or, you know, snowboarding or whatever. Um, you need to treat it with, with respect, right? You need to like work hard every day, like every day. And part of my daily routine is like, like, how did I, like, how did my learning go yesterday? And how can I learn better today? Like what went well, what didn't go well? What am I experimenting with? Like, how did those experiments go, et cetera. Just like athletes, golfers, tennis players, et cetera. Uh, I also played like every competitive sport at some point when I was growing up, because I was just really competitive. All right, so um, let's take something like negotiation. So how do you get better at negotiation? So you got to obviously practice negotiating, but you also need like practice plus theory is like how you learn as fast as possible. So I started off by reading a dozen books on the topic of negotiation. And I pulled out like a bunch of different tactics and I put them into mnemonic devices like acronyms. So I could remember them quickly in an actual negotiation. So I would take all these tactics and then the way I'd practice is I would like watch, let's say I'm like watching an episode of the West Wing and there's like, you know, like President Bartlett that is negotiating with another head of state. And like, I'm like, I pause and I just like, I use every one of the tactics from both sides and I mentally simulate the negotiation as if I'm applying all those. Um, and then of course I'm running a business. So I'm getting all kinds of daily practice from that anyway. Another example is like innovation. So how do you become the most innovative person in the world? Like, well, you got to practice it, right? It's like a muscle. You got to get better innovations. How do you do that? So go through again, let's say it's like a dozen books of innovation, uh, pull out a bunch of like tactics for innovative thinking and then practice applying them. So for example, I would go to Walmart and I'd go from product to product to product on the shelves and practice generating ideas for products. So I'd go and grab something like a, like a dry erase marker and um, say like, okay, in my acronym, I got like luxury, long tail, unused capacity, et cetera. So luxury, could I just sell a, a more expensive dry erase marker? Long tail, could I let people customize their own dry erase markers, et cetera? So I just generate um, literally thousands of business ideas this way. Um, most of them are dog shit, but like, you know what? It's still, it's practice, right? And then some of them are good, right? So, okay. So, so that's like, that was my journey. And then, and then I started the next business um, and that became the online media business I mentioned, um, dose.com. We basically built um, some of the biggest meme sites online and we uh, built like, it was like all user generated content and yeah, we're, we're basically BuzzFeed was our biggest competitor. So if you understand BuzzFeed's model, that was our model uh, as well. Um, and I sold that company about five years ago. Um, and uh, it was also the time that I got into um, Bitcoin um, and crypto. Um, so, okay. All right. So that's like the, the kind of quick um, background. Um, and then um, for learning to learn, just kind of the next the next topic. So first, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start at like a really high level. This is yeah, I'm gonna start at kind of high level, some high level principles, um, and I'm gonna answer your question, and then we're gonna go kind of back and forth from like high level theory to like tactical practice, high level theory, tactical practice, um, because I found that that's the best way. Uh, like one of my heuristics is that if you ever read like one thing that people like people for example they read business books. Actually, no, that's gonna be no, no, yeah, they read like for example the business book, and they're like ah, it's like you know they they gave me the idea in the first chapter. And then it was like 300 pages of examples. And I didn't need the whole rest of the book. So I just read the first chapter and that was good enough. And uh, that is sometimes true. Basically like sometimes you just need lots of examples for it to stick in. Like sometimes like you just won't get the idea until it's been like pounded into your skull by the author giving you 300 pages of examples. Cause you need to like take that idea and you need to be able to connect it to so many other ideas. And you just can't do that if you just read like 
a like one page summary of it, right? But if let's say that you're a practitioner and like you have a bunch of examples already because you see this shit happening every single day in your own industry. Um, sometimes like the, the one page summary or the one paragraph, like first chapter is exactly what you need because you need the theory. You already have the like empirical experience. You have all the facts, you've had the experience, but you're missing theory. So sometimes you're missing theory. Sometimes you're missing the like, you know, um, the anecdotes or examples, um, and you have to know like where you're at on on the cycle. You basically go through all these like S curves, where like you start off and you just like accumulate a lot of like facts and like you know experience, and then you, you're really hungry for theory, and then you get the theory, and then you like rocket up the S curve, and then you flatline again. You need to like just get a bunch more experience, right? So um, okay, so anyway, that was kind of a side path. So high level, the most important high level mental model for learning to learn is the I think the analogy of progressive loading from weightlifting. Um, so, you know, we we're just talking, uh, before we started this episode about like how, like, you know, you like Robert are like big and strong. And the reason why you're big and strong is because you go to the gym and every single day you lift heavy fucking weights. And then, you know what you do the next day? You lift heavier fucking weights. And every single day you lift heavier weights than you did the previous day, you know? And, uh, because you, you have to like, you have to send very clear signals to your muscles. Like all these muscles in your bicep you have to be like, Hey guys, I need you to like build up more capacity so that tomorrow we can lift even heavier weights, right? And you keep doing that until eventually you look like Robert does. Um, and it's the exact same thing with learning and with reading. Um, so, so that's the the high level like mental model, right? Now, practically, another couple of things I want to start by talking about. Like, first of all, a little bit more of, like the why like this matters is because I want you to imagine for a second that you could just like if you like I don't know how many books that that you know you the listener have read in your life so far, but let's say it's like a hundred books, okay? Um, if you were to double the speed at which you could read a book. Um, you could double the number of books that you read and overall, it, you know, th th you can apply this with articles, you read books, you read podcasts, like audiobooks, whatever. It's, it's, it's all just like bits of information that are coming to your brain that you're hopefully like processing and then making something useful out of. Um, okay. So that, okay. So, so you asked a question earlier about like how to, um, how to go fast. So you're currently listening on two X, right? That's your kind of standard podcast speed. I, it depends on the guest. Like <clears throat> you're a fast talker. If I was listening to this episode, it'd probably be a one X. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm listening to me, it's probably a 1.5 or two. Yep. Um, okay. So this is actually one of the most, like, uh, I'm going to try to deliver some value right away to everyone who's listening. Cause like, this is like the literally the simplest thing that like you can do that is basically free energy is that almost every single, I would predict that like 90, somewhere between like 95 to 98% of you guys who are listening are, uh, could easily increase the speed that you're listening to this exact episode. Well, maybe not because I do talk really fast. So maybe not for this episode, but like, you know, the average episode that you listen to of a podcast by 0.25 X, in other words, like, you know, maybe 25% or something um, for free. Where basically like you wouldn't even have like, you would have essentially no drop in retention um, by just increasing whatever speed you're listening to it at by 0.25 X. Um, maybe you have a decrease of like one to 4% or something uh, in terms of retention. Um, but that's an insane trade-off, right? So if you go from like 1X to 1.25X, 25% increase or so, and you only lose like 2% of retention, that's that's like a hell of a trade, right? Um, and basically, um, I, I don't think I've actually ever met somebody who had maxed out on their speed, uh, where when I told them like, try going up by 0.25X, uh, they couldn't do it where it was profitable. Um, so, it, so if nothing else, like right now, like make a mental note or go in your podcast player while you're listening to me or pause it or something and just go in there and just increase your speed by 0.25 X. Um, because what almost everyone's doing is, um, people are just sitting there and they're just like lifting one pound dumbbells at the gym. 
And they don't know that, that they're lifting one pound dumbbells because like this is like one of those mental models that hasn't spread enough yet of like, you have to be progressively loading. Like you need to be pushing yourself closer to the edge of your comfort zone in order to be able to read faster. So one thing will happen is like, and here's kind of a fun challenge too. So it's like, go into your podcast player, put it on three X for a second and just like, listen, you're like, oh my God, it's like chipmunk, right? And, um, but I, I can guarantee that like for you, Robert, like you can listen to the majority of podcasts at three X, like with just like a few hours of like practice um, like, because you have to, your brain will like, your brain will, will cry out at first because of course it's hard. Just like your brain right. cries out, hey, Jim, you got the pump, right? But you've right. learned how to associate pleasure to that, right? Like when you're feeling the pump and when you're like feeling the burn, you know, you, oh, it's, you're like, it's, it's a full on addiction at this point. Like I have to have it to be sane, basically. The, when you said practice for the three X, does that literally just mean turn them on three X and keep listening until your brain adapts? Yeah. So basically, um, the goal, your goal, the high level mental models that you want to go right to the edge of your comfort zone. Um, and you want to even push past this. So you can see where the comfort zone is. And the thing is that most people never actually push to the edge of their comfort zone. So they never find out what the run when they're, you know, one rep max is right. Um, they just like lift whatever the like easiest setting is at the gym. And like, maybe they're like, oh, this is too easy. And they go to the second easiest setting, but it's like, dude, you could be lifting like twice as much weight right now if you just try. Um, and so, so the advice that I always give is like, start by going up by 0.25 X. And like, if that seems still pretty easy, then like keep going up until it feels like basically your goal is to get to a point where like you understand about 80% of what you're hearing and 80% is good heuristic because it's like, it ensures that you're, that you're being honest about like pushing yourself. Um, because it's really easy to like, if you understand like hundred percent or like, you know, most of it, then like, man, you're definitely lifting one pound dumbbells. Right. Um, and, uh, and the key thing is that like, so you, Robert, are such an intellectual heavyweight that like, I know that you can process information much faster than 2X. What most, what happens to most people is that because they're not applying this mental model, they like, they get stuck on something where like every once in a while, there's like a, like, for example, like it also, you know, it depends obviously the intellectual depth of the conversation and so on. So um, if, you know, somebody's coming in there and they're like another, if you have like two intellectual heavyweights and they're like going hard at an area that you're not super fluent in, then you're gonna have to go slower. Just like with, with the new, you're learning a new language, right? Like, you know, you're learning your language, you gotta go slow at first, then eventually you can start speeding up more and more. But anyway. So that's the high level mental model. So, so the tactical actual thing is like start by increasing by 0.25x and just keep bumping up by 0.25x until you're at like about 80%, like where you can understand about 80% of it. And then probably you'll, you'll, you'll get more comfortable with that. And then you bump it up again. But like, I would predict that if, if you're the kind of person that's listening to this episode of like me and Robert talking, then like you, you should be listening to the majority of your podcast episodes at least at 2.5x. Like, because you're, you're obviously smart. You'll see this. This is like a super niche podcast of um, like very smart people talking about very smart people things, right? So like you should be doing two, at least 2.25x and probably 2.5x on most podcasts. Um, so that's my like recommendation. Okay. So that's on the speed side. Uh, now there's like one of the most important hacks that I've learned is um, that you want to, okay, first of all, there's a couple, couple, actually I should go high level before I go to the tactical stuff. So um, first of all, why is it important to like listen to as many podcasts as you can and like read as many books as you can is because it's like super compressed knowledge. So, you know, before, like if you wanted to learn something, you know, the traditional model, like the middle ages, like you had to go like find a guy who knew how to like, you know, like roll steel and then he would teach you. And um, now somebody can spend their entire life researching something and they compress their entire life's work into a book that you can read in three hours. In three hours, especially if you're a speed reader, you can read fast enough. And by the way, you can absolutely speed read. Anybody who tells you can't speed read doesn't know what they're talking about. You can, but there are certainly inflated claims of speed reading for sure. And I'll debunk the ones that are the ones that are good and the ones that are bullshit. And I'll get to that. But like, first of all, like that's crazy. If you think of the leverage of like, they spent their entire life researching it. They summarize a new book. I can read in three hours. That should make you want to read more books, right? Because that's so much compressed wisdom. Oh my God. And just imagine if you were sitting across the table from that guy and, and you're like, okay, teach me. You spent your whole life like becoming world-class at this thing. Now teach me. 
Like how long would it take him to teach you? Because he's got to right. like, he's like, man, my thoughts aren't that organized. And like, I, he's got to explain it one X because he can only talk at one X speed. He can't talk right. at three X, X, right? And he, but for the book, he spent like fucking three years, like figuring out like, what's the best way to explain this? Like yes. what ideas are in which order and you can skip around. And if some parts are boring, you can skip, if you already know those parts, you can skip that chapter. You can go back and read stuff. You can pause it if you didn't quite process it. Yeah. And uh, that's magical, right? Like This is why I love reading so much because even if that guy could sit down and verbalize himself perfectly you could still read it faster like if you, especially if you know speed reading you i can read much faster than i can listen to anyone other than i mean i guess we're doing podcasts at 3x maybe that's the equivalent like speed of reading in a way but yeah to get that all of that wisdom and knowledge distilled into one concentrated refined dose that you can then speed read and self self-manager uh path through the content i mean that just it's yeah it's a superpower basically yep exactly um you know there's this famous quote that like really resonated with me when i first heard it was that a man uh who reads lives a thousand lives before he dies a man who doesn't read lives only once mm. i think there's real wisdom and there's a real truth in that idea the idea mm. that like when you read a book you're getting a time lapse of somebody's entire life like yes. all of their, all their knowledge in a time-lapse format. And of course you're not going to understand as deeply as they do, but like, you know what? It's very compressed. It's like, you've like, you've 80, 20, a lot of the essential ideas, things that took him, maybe it's like an idea that took him like fucking five years of like slaving away over like a lab, like, you know, at a bench, like to try to learn something. And then in like three paragraphs, he's like, so I spent five years trying to figure this out. And here's the answer. Ah, magical, <laughs> magical to be able to do that. Um, and there's so many scientists and there's so many practitioners that are creating so much new knowledge and you can get, you can download it so quickly in their books and in their Twitter feeds and their podcasts. And yeah, it's magical. And the thing too, that's really important is like, another reason why you got to read a lot of books is because like, you don't know which books are going to change your life. So, you know, if you read, let's say you read hypothetically, read like, you read like 1000, you read like a thousand books. Okay. Maybe of those thousand books, like a thousand, like a hundred of those books will teach you a little bit, maybe a hundred books will, or like, you know, 10 books will like change your worldview. And then like one book will change your life and you know, it's power law. Right. And so you don't know which books are going to work. So like, you got to like, got to read a bunch of them. Um, so, okay. So that's like a high level. Um, you get time lapses, super compressed. Um, and also really, really, really importantly, the fact you can stop and you can reread parts because the value in each book is like really unevenly distributed. You know, most of the book is going to be like not very interesting or not very relevant, or he's just going to be talking about things that aren't that relevant to you. And like the fact that you, you need to be able to like go quickly through some parts, so you can stop and like really slowly process the parts that are really, really good. Right. And like, you can't do that if you're just like, you know, yeah. Anyway. So, okay. So, so I'm going to start going through a few, some tactics. Oh yeah. Also to one thing from a motivational perspective, especially this is like some advice if you're starting off like a new career, um, read at least three books about your chosen field. Because if you do read three books about your chosen field, you'll be in like easily like the 95th percentile of your peers. And the reason why is because if you read a book, let's say it's a business book, a business book is like maybe about 200 articles. So 200 articles is no joke, like 200 articles about your field. And if you read three books, that's like 600 articles about your field. Now, how many of your peers have read 600 articles about their chosen field? Like you're just going to download a ton of best practices and wisdom from people in the field before you even get started. And then you'll go and get a bunch of practical experience and you'll, you know, you'll eventually like, it'll be obvious to you those things you've read in that book, but like, you'll get, you'll get way ahead. Way ahead. I sort of throw in here. This is also, we made the point that it's a great leverage point, but even for what you just said, younger people just starting a career. You know, most careers, people that have the experience and tenure tend to shine a lot more than especially the, the young ones just coming in. But this is an area where young entrants into a new industry can really leverage, right? You can pick up speed right. reading in 30 minutes. You can read, 
you can run read circles around your older peers and it can give you a leg up basically in, in going into the workforce. Yep, exactly. But like you will have just consumed so much more of the collective wisdom of that field uh, in such a short period of time uh, because of how compressed the information is. You know that feeling you get when you like you watch like a single 10-minute video on YouTube and you feel like you learn more from that 10-minute video than an entire semester of school? Again, fucking magical, right? Yeah. Like think of the leverage of like a 10-minute video with more than an entire semester of school. And those videos are everywhere because the internet is this magical device where the best teachers in the entire world will compress a semester of wisdom into a 10 minute video that you can watch if you just like have enough agency and care enough to like look it up on YouTube. And then, you know, maybe you watch like a couple crappy ones for you to the really good one. But like, again, that's magical. And that, that was never possible, you know, until recently. And, you know, taking full advantage of that just gives you like, I mean, you're just going to make so much more money, right? Mm. Like you want to get girls, you're going to get way more girls. You want to move ahead in your career and move in your career. You want to just be wise and like happy and like healthy and like, you know, you want to look like Robert, like, I mean, just <laughs> more books, you know, like that it, it sometimes it can be that simple. Another reason which you like why investing and in learning to learn specifically is so important is because so we're in like, <clears throat> we're probably, I think we're probably mid singularity right now, whatever that means. And the rate of change is accelerating exponentially. Um, I believe in the stagnation hypothesis to some extent, but like clearly things are still changing rapidly, especially with the internet. So that means that if you learn a skill, so you go to school, you spend four years um, and you spent 450 hours getting your master's, 450 hours is about like what it is to get um, a major at something, you know, in college, right? So it's 450 hours of time. Although, by the way, if you read it through, if you, if you just listen to, think of this for a second, like process this. So it takes 450 hours of like classroom time to get a major in something. Um, but if you listen, if you just listen to those same lectures that you went to when you were in college, listen to the 3X, it's only 150 hours. 150 hours is nothing that you can do that in a couple of weeks. If you just went full time for three weeks, you could like consume the same amount of lectures that you consumed in the whole time that you were getting your major in college. In like three weeks, you know, like if I do the math right, I might've gotten the numbers wrong, whatever. It's like some really short period of time. Um, so, so that's just like, again, crazy leverage. If you just like increase the speed that you can learn at, because you can watch the lectures at 3X, you can read at 3X, you can listen to podcasts at 3X. Um, it's just, you can, you can just pick up a major every few weeks. Um, if you, if you amazing. Yeah, right? And you couldn't do that for the internet though, because you couldn't speed things up. And you could, and again, it's really important to be able to stop and stuff. So, okay. So I was saying though, is that like, so the rate of change is increasing exponentially. And so what does that mean? So that means that if you go to college and you spend like years, like developing a skill, but the value of that skill declines exponentially as the rate of change increases exponentially right? Because the job market is changing rapidly. And so like, right. there's a good chance that whatever skill you learn, even if you major in something that is useful, um, probably like, you know, if you major in, in like uh, computer science, like a lot of what you learn in school is useless by the time you graduate. And sure, people rationalize, and they're like, well, you're learning the principles of something and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But you know what? It's probably better just to learn Python. Um, <laughs> and um, so this is really, really, really fast, exponentially decaying amount of value that you get from learning a given skill, unless, unless the hack, hack, is that you invest your time into learning how to learn, reading faster, because then you can just keep picking up new skills. And as you guys know this, like if you're if you're in crypto, like you know, in the, the industry as a whole, like things change really fast, right? There's like new things that rise and fall quickly, and there's new skill sets that are required all the time, new programming languages, new tech stacks, um, just in general. And if you can pick them up quickly, then like there's this window of time where like you can make a lot of money, right? Or like the job market like really values you, or like, you know, there's just like uh, yeah. So like, don't major in a skill, like major in the, in learning itself, which gives you all the other skills again, like wishing more wishes basically. Um, and then what you'll see happen too, is like the more that you learn, there's this feedback loop where like you get more curious, the more that you read, the more curious you get, because like every, every, like every, like thing that you learn, every fact you learn, like introduces two new questions and it creates like this fission reaction of like the more that you learn, the more questions become interesting to you. 
until eventually like like the, the whole world becomes just filled with meaning and purpose and like yes. beauty wisdom and it just becomes more addicting to learn so you got to get that momentum in the beginning to get where you're actually like you're reading a lot you're you're, you're learning a lot and then it just becomes easier to keep on going i think that's such a great point that, that because initially there was this kind of hunger for me to consume a lot of nonfiction books to try and answer questions that i thought were interesting but as you learn more that realm of inquiry i guess expands exponentially and it does it's ultimately it started out as something I was trying to do to improve myself, but it's now become something that has enriched my lived experience, right? I, I can't imagine living any other way than sort of asking these big questions, wrestling with big ideas, spending time with these famous authors, you know, most of them dead and gone, but it actually, it's not just for competitive pragmatic purposes anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's enjoyable. I don't know. It's, it's a very, very, very enjoyable lifestyle. Right. If you think about, just think how magic a book is for a second. So, you know, I've got this physical copy of a book and you're opening it and you're looking at, you're looking at like, it's, 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 you're looking at a dead tree that has been splattered with dead dinosaurs. That's what ink is, right? It's like oil, which is fossils, right? So like dead tree, dead dinosaurs, where somebody who maybe has been dead for hundreds of years is telepathically communicating their entire life's wisdom to you. Through the open source software of English or whatever the language is. Yeah. Come on, like how magical is that? That we can that we can have that experience. And then with the internet, you can get access to like every basically every book that's ever been written. Like what? Every book that's ever been written, like every conversation in the world that's happening between like two of the smartest people in their topic area that you can just listen to. And like it's just and 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 once you get the, the engine going, like you said, it becomes not like a means to an end. And when you start off, like, you know, yeah, it's like people read because they want to make money, they want to get in their career, whatever. And then eventually it becomes like, I mean, this is just way better than Netflix. <laughs> it's just way yes, more exactly. than Netflix. I think getting into the the reading a lot has really ruined video content <clears throat> for me. Like I actually have a really hard time sitting down and watching a, a movie even. Yep. Um, I don't know. I, I guess your mind gets used to a certain pace. Maybe I need to watch the movies on 3X or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. I mean, I don't watch them on 3X, but I watch them faster than I can't watch anything on 1X anymore unless yeah. I'm deliberately practicing certain tactics. Like one of the things I do, um, so if I'm, especially if I'm forced to watch it 1X, what I do is I have a little notepad and I have like different things I'm practicing noticing in the movie. So let's say, for example, what we're going to talk about maybe in a later episode or something, like I'm trying to practice noticing like different types of symbolism, or I'm trying to practice noticing filmmaking techniques. I'm trying to noticing like the lighting and the texturing and the sound and the like dialogue and the character arcs. And there's all kinds of different things I get, or I could be practicing noticing body language, or I could be practicing noticing negotiation tactics or whatever so i've got like all these different like so i've got a notepad and then each column is like a thing i'm practicing noticing and i keep a pen in my hand and then with that pen i just make a check mark every time i notice that thing so every time i notice that like negotiation tactic or every time i notice that persuasion tactic or i notice that body language sign or i notice that like you know symbol like the symbol of the rock or the symbol of the divine you know divinity or whatever um and so that way like i'm still keeping my brain fully active um while i'm watching but but you know oftentimes i just speed up i also change the speeds a lot uh, when i'm watching so for example video content um so what i do is like um, so I'm watching, I use a, uh, there's an app called video speed controller with hotkeys. Um, there's a Chrome plugin and basically it makes it so that you can like really easily change the speed and you can rewind and fast forward uh, and pause like really trivially. And so the, what I basically do is I'm watching YouTube videos is I, so I'm cross playing the idea of actions per minute from professional gaming. So like you play Starcraft and like the best Starcraft players average like 300 APM, like 300 actions per minute. They're basically clicking their mouse, like, <laughs> or whatever, like, you know, hitting a key uh, 300 times per minute. So the brain is very active, right? And so what I do is I'm constantly adjusting the speed of the video to maximize like 
to be maximally exhausting for me to consume. Just like progressive loading, right? Trying to get big. So, so like some parts of the video, like I've got to slow it down. And then some parts I'm just like, I speed it up. I'll go up to like, you know, 5X for some parts. Cause I can just tell, for example, like the first, you can basically skip the first, like, you know, 50 seconds of every YouTube video because they just start off by like essentially restating the title of the video, but in a low signal way. Um, and you can skip the first 50 seconds. You can just skip the last like 15 seconds. Cause there's like a boring outro as well. Um, and so, you know, that those parts, you can just skip ahead really quickly. And then the, again, the value of the video is like, usually there's usually a power law where there's like a small percent of the video that's really valuable and important. And you need to consume it very slowly. You might want to pause, reflect, et cetera. And the rest of it, you just want to skip, you want to go through as quickly as you can. You can just see if that part is worth pausing and listening to more closely. And so I, so I, I measure my own APM. Um, so I currently average about 10 APM. So um, every every minute I have 10 actions where I change the speed, I pause, I rewind, I fast forward. So that's basically like every you know six seconds or so, uh, I take an action. Um, usually I just speed up and slow down. That's the main thing. Like I notice that I'm bored. Oh, I should speed it up, right? Uh, or I notice that like this seems low value. Like this, I predict that like this part of the video, this whole section is not gonna be super valuable um, because he's talking about something I'm already pretty fluent in. I'm already pretty familiar with this idea. So I'm gonna speed it up really fast. I'll listen, but I'm only gonna pick up like maybe 20% of the words he's saying, because I'm at 5X now. 5X is pretty fast, right? But I'm still noticing like 20% of the words and the 20% of the words are enough so I can like say like, ah, he's still talking about that topic, still talking about that topic, still talking about that topic. Like, okay, he switched topics. Let me slow it down. Slow it down to like 3.5X. Now I'm maybe picking up like, you know, 70% of the words and like, but like, yeah, I switched to another topic that I don't really care about or isn't relevant. So then I, I speed it back up again, but then I might really slow it down like to like, you know, 1.75 X or 2.5 X or something for like the one part of the video that was really important. And so basically I'm always trying to match the like speed of the video to like the difficulty of processing times the value of processing that part of the video. And so that's what I'd recommend as well is like, think of it like they're serving up a dish to you and you can consume it however you want. Um, but the key is to like, push yourself, the goal always in these situations is to like push yourself right to the edge of what you're capable of processing. If your goal is to learn quickly, right? If your goal is just to like chill and, you know, relax, then like, that's cool. That's a different goal, you know? Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's um, really cool. You know, this kind of reminds me of um, the zone of proximal development. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but mm -hmm. when children learn to speak, uh, parents tend to talk right above their head a little bit. It's like, you don't want to meet the child exactly at their level. You yeah, want to talk just above them to help pull them up the, the competence stack, I guess. And it yeah. sounds like you're kind of doing that to yourself in many of these situations. You're trying to get the, the speed where it's just above the level to keep you not bored, maybe even slightly uncomfortable, right? You're at the edge of your own capacity, I guess. And that's what's forcing you to expand your competence in, in whatever method of learning you're involved in. That's exactly right. So a lot of it is like you're basically switching from exploring to exploiting. It's a computer science concept where like exploring is like you, you don't really know what you're looking for yet. And so basically like go really fast, like read speed read with like low comprehension through like much of the book or the video or whatever, and then like slow down to exploit on the parts that are worth reading, you know, like slowly and carefully. So that's the basic principle. And you want to go the key is to go right to the edge at all times. So you're maximally engaged. Um, so, okay. So, so another tactic that's related to, we were talking about like, how do you just increase the speed of your podcast? Like you just keep adding more you know, weights to your rack, you know, every day in the form of increasing the speed. Um, another like major, this is one of the most important hacks that I've ever come across um, is what I call immersive reading. Basically it's, it, it I don't know exactly why it works. Um, it's kind of weird, um, but it works really, really well. So basically what you do is you listen to the audiobook while you're reading the book with your eyes. 
So you're using your audio channel and your visual channel at the same time. So what I do is like, I've got, um, there's an app you can use called the best one. I've tried everyone, like every app on the internet that like does anything like this, any text to speech app, uh, natural reader is the name of the app. That's the best one has the best features. It's easiest to use. So natural reader, um, it's like Chrome desktop, whatever. So I use Chrome plugin and basically you can, any article you want, like it just like you click it in the browser and it'll just start like highlighting each sentence one at a time and you'll hear it and uses AI and AI voices now are like, especially AI voices are about as good as humans now. Um, like they, in the last year in particular, like, oh my God, have they made progress. Um, if you haven't tried them in a while, like they're night and day where they used to be. I also, what I do is I pick a British voice because the British accent, like I don't notice, like if it's an American accent, I do occasionally notice things that are a little off with a British accent. I'm not, I don't have a British accent. So like, I don't really notice when he says things a little awkwardly. So like, I really don't notice with a British accent. Um, so and it sounds smarter. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds smarter. Yeah. I would, I wish I had a British accent. Um, so, um, yeah, so basically what you do is like you hit play and it reads the article to you. It highlights one sentence at a time. Um, and you can hear the voice in your ears. You can set the speed, whatever you want, set it three X, whatever. Um, and it highlights at the same time. Um, and you can also do this with an audiobook. So I do that for, for articles, but if I'm reading a book, for example, um, I'll like, I'll download the audible version of the book and I'll like have the Kindle version. And I just like, I, I, I have it on my phone and the way I work, I'll show you how this works actually. Cause this is actually, this will save some hassle. So basically, um, so this is the block size war right here, which I was, uh, rereading actually. Um, and, uh, you hit this button up here to go into car mode and then you have this like giant pause button. And so basically what you do is like, I've got my headphones in, I'm just tracing with my eyes while I'm listening with my ears. And um, if I, if I basically what happens is like, first of all, actually, before I go into tactics, how to use this well, the reason why this works. So um, this, what this does is it makes it, you will read much faster and more importantly, it makes reading much easier. So um, basically it turns reading a book into watching a movie and it just feels easier in ways that are really hard to explain. So, um, so let's say you set it at 3.5 X, which is Audible's max speed. So if you read a standard sized business book, for example, and it will take you only about like, two or three hours to read um, a whole book in two or three hours. And that's how long a movie lasts. So like you could read a book in the time it takes you to watch a movie. And the reason why it works is a couple of reasons. So one is like, just like how if you're running uh, and you have a pacer in front of you, it like keeps dragging you forward because what happens all the time when you're reading is that you just get distracted. You know, like you're, you're you start mind wandering and uh, you forget where, to, what was I reading again? And you're like, oh shit, I gotta find my page again. Like what paragraph? And like, Ah, oh, there, that's where I was, right? And like, let's say on average, it takes you, I measure this, it takes, it basically was like, it's like around 28 seconds. Every time you're, you hear a siren going by, a dog barking, you know, whatever. Like, so that's like 28 seconds every single time that happens, it happens constantly. Um, and so basically you actually are not reading. This is the craziest thing that if you actually measure this, uh, and I measured the shit out of this with myself because I noticed that it was just mind blowing, like how much time I actually wasn't spending reading. So the only reason why it takes you six hours to finish that book normally, instead of the three hours it would take you with this method is because you're literally just not reading at all for like half of that time. Your mind is thinking about the other stuff. You're not there, wow. you're not present, you're not mindful. Um, and so what this does is it forces you to keep on going. Um, because you'll notice quickly if you're not paying attention, like you'll notice because there's a voice in your head and the thing is moving on the screen. Um, so it keeps you from accidentally like forgetting to keep reading um, and keeps you moving forward. Um, kind of like a good boss who like keeps you getting mo momentum when you lose momentum or a good coach, like in sports, or whatever, like, come on, let's go, you know, keeps you moving if you would be otherwise flagging. Um, and so that's part of why it works. Um, and the other reason why it works is because, oh, first of all, I should also say like, this is one of those tactics where like, it's pretty transformative. Like um, so far, I don't know of a single person who's tried this, who's put in at least five hours of time um, because it takes some time to train your brain because it's weird. It's definitely a weird thing. Um, and at first your brain's like, 
what the fuck is this? This is not what I signed up for. This is not how we do these things here. Um, but if you put in five hours of practice, um, I don't know of a single person who put in five hours who found it like impossible to go back to regular reading because regular reading will just feel painful and slow and uh, like only a thing to be doing in like most extreme scenarios. Um, and I've had, for example, like my brother, as soon as he started doing this, my younger brother, uh, he went from like overnight, like not reading like much of anything to literally reading an entire book a day just because of this one hack. Like that is how powerful this hack is. Another friend, like his friend, total fucking bum, like small town, Indiana kid, like, uh, like total bum. He went from zero to reading a whole book a day as well because it just made it so much easier for him to read. It just feels easier. It feels like before you, if you read the old way, it feels like, like if you imagine if you watch an old timey movie and you have to like crank it by hand to like turn every like film slide. That's what like regular reading feels like once you get used to this versus just being able to like sit back and consume it. So yeah, it right. turns into like watching a movie. So, okay. You mentioned that app, the natural reader app. Uh, and I haven't tried this method yet, but this sounds, it's, it's very something I'm going to adopt soon. Are you then reading the book in the natural reader app and listening to the audiobook separately, or is that occurring in the same application? So if you're using a book, you can do it different ways. So yeah. um, there's different apps for a natural reader. Um, so mm -hmm. I use the browser plugin and the way it works for that one is that like, if basically, if you're reading an article, then it's just a little browser plugin. You just click the button, hit play, and it'll just start reading that article to you, right? Mm, okay. um, so you can just do it with a PDF if you want. You just read the PDF that way. Um, if it's a book, what I do is like, if there's no audiobook for it, um, what I do is I use LibGen. LibGen is kind of like Pirate Bay, but for books. So mm -hmm. I order a physical copy of the book because I still like having the physical copy and I like supporting the author, mm -hmm. um, but there's an audiobook for it. So what do you do? I'm like, well, I can't buy, normally if there's an audio, if there is an audio before, then I'll buy the audiobook and I'll buy the Kindle version. And I'll just like have the Kindle version up on my screen and I'll have the audiobook playing while I'm reading with my eyes. Right. Gotcha. But if there is an audio before it, then I go to LibGen, I download a PDF or EPUB version of it. And then I put that into natural reader, um, the browser plugin, like the browser app. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then it, it reads it to me there gotcha. so that's how that works so you could be on i guess then kindle cloud reader and you're <laughs> following you're just reading the book while it's also playing in your ear and you're just basically turning pages on kindle cloud reader that's exactly right got it okay yep so yeah so this uh tactic immersive reading um it feels like it just kind of unlocks more of your brain and it feels kind of like a limitless drug um once you get used to it it makes reading just feel so much easier um so that's an important hack um, another important one um, is, okay, so part of it is like, how do you just read more? And then part of it is like, how do you retain more? Um, so one of the most important, um, actually, no, I'm going to, a few more tactics first on how to read more. Um, so I'll just rattle off a bunch of quick ones because these things really help. So one thing that really helps is like, just if you have good posture, like it somehow just seems to like, you just channel more energy in some weird way that's hard to explain, but like having good posture just seems to really help. Um, not reading in bed, because basically if you try to read in bed, if you're trying to read in bed before you just fall asleep, then that's totally different. That's cool. Um, I do that as well. Um, but like, if you want to like stay focused, like you really need to have, uh, if, if you're not doing the audio, if you're not doing immersive reading with the audio um, that I mentioned, which again, I cannot recommend enough, but at least do five hours. Like promise me you'll do five hours because I see people quit right the five hours. And like, if anyone gets the five hours, they stay with it. Um, um, I probably have like, let's say of the 30 people that I've like um, tried to convince to do this, I would, yeah, like zero, I would say probably about like 15 of them got the five hours and all of them like stuck with it. Um, so yeah. Um, okay. So if you, if you aren't though, for whatever reason you have to read, but you don't have like the audiobook playing in your ears, um, then very, very, very important is put in white noise. Like make sure you have white noise playing because basically every tiny distraction, again, imagine that like every siren, every dog, every like chair squeaking, that's a 28 second setback every single time. 
And so you're just not going to actually finish your book. You're just going to keep getting distracted. Um, and uh, But if you have white noise in, then you don't have any of the auditory distractions. So if you don't like white noise, because it's like, um, you know, it, I, I get it. Like when you, no one likes white noise the first time they hear it. They're like, ah, like why would I want to listen to like, you know, an airplane sound? Um, but your brain will adapt. And that's, you know, that's why it's white noise. Um, Can you so, do like, I I've also often would listen to classical music when reading. Do you, how do you feel about that? You can, it's much more distracting than white noise. Mm. Um, you know, it could be worth it for you because you get so much joy and pleasure from listening to the classical music that like, even if it slows you down by like 30%, then it's worth it. Um, you know, I remember that like in college, like people were always listening to music while doing homework and they were doing very little homework because the music was so distracting, but like, you know, if you want to take five times longer to do it, um, but have good music, then do it. But in general, like if you measure this, by the way, all these things you can test yourself too. Like I test all these myself and I just noticed that like, basically if I use white noise versus um, music without lyrics, um, obviously not all classical music is the same. Some classical music um, is much more staccato and it's more, you know, there's different types of classical music that's more or less distracting. Um, then uh, basically it slowed me down by on average about 30%. Um, so pretty substantially slower. That's like, they between like two hours and three hours to read a whole book, you know, but it could be worth it for you if that trade-off's worth it. Like, uh, my girlfriend Kat does that. She listens to books, um, you know, like with, you know, music playing because she, she's willing to slow down for it to be, sometimes for it to be worth it. Um, so yeah, um, but basically like the spectrum is like, are there lyrics or not lyrics? If there's lyrics, it's gonna be way more distracting. If there's lyrics, it'll probably slow you down closer to 50%. No lyrics is maybe like 30%. Um, I've actually got like a whole bunch of different playlists to like engineer my mood um, based on like uplifting kind of movie soundtrack music. Um, if I wanna like feel heroic, I, it's literally called my hero music playlist. Um, and it's like, it's it's music that's like maximally undistracting that is like uplifting. Um, and then I've got like increasingly distracting types of music um, to like, yeah. to Cause I basically think like what mood am I in right now and what mood do I want to create? And then I use music as a way to like program myself to feel emotionally different. Um, I think we all do it with music, but most people don't do it consciously. They just kind of do whatever feels right. and. And that works too. But like the more that you consciously engineer music as a toolkit um, to change your mood, um, then it works really well. Yeah, and it definitely does. Like, because I, I listen to a few different types of music at the gym. Typically, is my music time, and it gives me a different mood. You know, like I have different workouts based on what I'm listening to. So, yep, it's it's cool For to sure. use it as a tool like that. Yep. Yeah, most people don't think of it as a tool. I think of it as like, oh, it's just entertainment. Uh, like music is not just entertainment. It's not like, there's no, like the, the, the percentage of total thermodynamic energy that humanity has expended on music, like completely negates the idea that it's just for entertainment, that there's not a important like survival and benefit, like to like, basically like it, it let's say humanity spent like in total, I don't know, let's say 5% of its entire thermodynamic allowance on music. There's no fucking way that that is like just for fun. There's right. no way that, right. like that was just for fun. Like it had to have an important survival benefit. Um, and I think it's like, I think it's, I have a bunch of different theories of what it is, but like emotional, like regulation is like very clearly part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and using it as a tool, like is, uh, is powerful, really powerful. Yeah. And yes, I think I always reflect on that Tesla quote, Nikola Tesla he said, if you want to understand the universe, think in terms of vibration, frequency, and energy. Yep. And even the, the term universe means one song, right? It's all vibrational. And so music somehow seems to be, I guess, the art form that maps onto the nature of reality. I've often thought musicality is probably the best uh, structural metaphor for the way reality actually is. Yep. So it doesn't seem like any coincidence that we are obsessed with it. Yep. 
I totally agree. Uh, you know, the, the the birth of philosophy, like the pre-Socratic Greek philosophers, most famously Pythagoras and the Pythagoreans, like they believed, and uh, you know, this is we're talking like in like the sixth century BC. Mm -hmm. You know, this is you know like music of the spheres and like yes. the cosmic order and harmonic properties of the universe, and like and you know that that I think that's aged well, like twenty five hundred years later. Um, that that doesn't seem dated and that doesn't seem primitive. Um, it seems like there's some real wisdom there. Um, the fact that like the same musical notes that they were obsessed with, they're obsessed with these like divine proportions, you know, like the golden ratio, you know, um, and things like that. And we still find the golden ratio fascinating 2,500 years later. Yeah. Um, it does feel like there's some sort of implicate order there. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Implicate order. Exactly. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it. Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. Like, I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy to use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download this state-of-the-art wallet software. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Masterworks. Masterworks gives you access to the fine art market at more affordable price points. They do this by offering you fractional shares in their $500 million portfolio of fine art. Now, fine art is an alternative asset class, and historically, it's been a great performer and a really good hedge against inflation. Most investors typically hold anywhere from 2 to 10% of their assets in an asset like fine art. To sign up or learn more, go to masterworks.com and use promo code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, -S -A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. 
Yeah. Okay. So back to um, learning to learn. Okay. So we talked about immersive reading. Basically, white noise. If you can't do that, white noise can't recommend enough. I predict that it'll increase your speed by thirty uh, percent. Um, so that'll save you a whole hour or two per book if you use white noise, or it'll be like two to four hours per book of time savings um, if you do music without lyrics. Um, if you don't, if you just do, if you just like, yeah. And then obviously, the more noisy and distracting your environment is, the more that white noise will matter. But like, I seriously cannot emphasize enough the importance of white noise. Um, so that's another tactic. Another one is to use a reading stand. So if you're gonna use physical books, so what I do is I read on my, like don't read on your Kindle um, unless you, well, there's, there are good reasons to read in a Kindle, but basically like if you, if you wanna remove distractions, um, but having a bigger screen can definitely help. Um, I read basically on my MacBook um, and I have like multiple columns open so I don't have to scroll as often. Um, if you read physical books, use a reading stand, like one that like holds the book open, don't hold it in your hand. It can be aesthetically nice to hold the book in your hand. I totally get that and respect that. But like if you wanna read more efficiently, like get a reading stand that like holds the pages open and props up the book at the perfect angle. You wanna have the, you don't wanna be like crunched over like this. You wanna have like, you wanna be like military, you know, posture as much as possible. And you wanna have the book, the pages not flapping around. You wanna have, you don't have to be holding the pages because if you're holding the pages in your hand, you have to be constantly allocating like, I don't know, 1% of your neuronal activity is like just holding the book in your hand and keeping the pages down and like your hands getting tired and like you need all your soldiers firing. You know, you need right, you want every right. one like actively engaging and processing uh with the material. Um so that's so that's um for for holding the book open. Um also another one too is like a really important one is that uh, using a pen to trace. This is a, a old school tactic that works really, really well. Is like um, if you don't have the audiobook that's reading this for you, um, take a pen and just like or or your finger and just move it under line by line what you're reading. Um, it's kind of like a weird consciousness hack. It just keeps you going in the same way that like the audiobook does. I think the audiobook is like a much more powerful version of it. But like if you just like move your finger under every word that you're reading or move the pen under every word you're reading, like it keeps you going. And you'll read again. I would predict that you'll read somewhere between like thirty to fifty percent faster. Um, <laughs> On that topic, I don't know how you learned to speed read. I just did this 30-minute uh, course that Tim Ferriss had on his blog, I believe. But using the the pen as a tracer on the words, the, the main thing, for me at least, on speed reading was learning to change my eye movement. Instead of making it the smooth eye movement across words, hmm. they trained you to kind of like move the eye more in discrete patterns where you're bouncing. And yeah. that's how I speed read now. And so w when I was learning to speed read, moving the pen actually in that way actually helped train me to uh, adopt that that eye movement pattern. That's not continuous, but is rather discreet and helps you read faster. Yeah, if that worked for you, great. Um, that personally didn't work as well for me. I noticed that that happened naturally to me once I just started like doing the because I did I, I I took like every speed reading course at some point because I was trying to see like what they all agreed on, what they differed on, like what was more robust and what was more like speculative. And I just experimented a lot, and that didn't work as well for me. Um, but it does work for some people, so you know it's definitely worth trying. Um, I find that basically if you just do the if you just move your finger under, if you stick with it, the most important thing is that you just keep on reading. That's like the like if we go to the full right curve, there's like all kinds of like mid curve takes on speed reading that like totally can work. Um, but to me, like the right curve thing is like, just read more books and like, just keep moving. Don't get distracted. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Like that's the most important thing by far is just keep momentum because momentum is the hardest thing to get. And like, when you get, in the, you got to get in that flow state and then you'll be smashing books left and right. 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 And every one of these random tactics I'm mentioning, it's like, okay, so if you read 50% faster because you use the pacer or the audiobook, that's literally like twice as many books per year. So let's say yes. you're reading a book. Like that's literally another book a week. That's like 104 books a year instead of 52 books a year. And like, if you did that over 10 years, that's 500 books. Like, yeah. you know, you're a different person books. after that. <laughs> what, um, yeah, did you have any technique changes to how you read as a result of the speed reading courses you took? Because typically when people ask me about it, that was like the main thing for me is like, oh, once you figure out your eye movement, that's, you can then control that, throttle it up or throttle it down. But I only took one course. So I'm wondering what other, 
if any techniques um, you changed as a result of your speed reading coursework? Um, yeah, there's a bunch, but it's hard for me to trace any specific things to speed reading courses because I was running my own, so many of my own experiments at the same time as I was taking much of these courses. Um, but yeah, the, the most robustly useful thing was definitely, I think, the uh, the tracer. Um, uh, and then, but but now I can't emphasize enough, like don't do any of this shit if you can just like listen to the audiobook um, or use natural reader because that is like just the super powered version of the same thing that the tracer gives you. Um, so basically like the, the, it's, it's not, okay. So it's basically, it's a two part process. So, it, so we talked about a lot of shit in this interview. It's been an hour. Um, the two things that if you take away nothing is like increase the speed and listen to it while you read it with your eyes. Those are the most important. Like that's like the 80, 20 of everything that I've learned about how to just like read more stuff. It's like increase your speed to the edge of your comfort zone. Again, try to make, try to understand 80% of what you're hearing. It should be a little uncomfortable. It's awkward to like only understand 80%. Your brain's like, ah, panic. Like what if that thing that he said was super important and I just missed it because I was reading too fast. It's like, well, if it was really important. He'll probably say it again or you'll come across it again or, okay, fine. Go back and read it again. You know, that's okay. You can hit the back button. I hit the back button. Like I hit the back button. So I've got it set up where like, so am I audible? For example, I have it set to 60 seconds back, which I'm listening at three X. So it's like basically 20 seconds back. Like I hit this thing around two to 300 times a day because like I, I, a par it basically sends me back one paragraph of the book and like, like I, I went through that paragraph. I was like, whoa, that seemed kind of important. Hit the back button, do it again. Right. Or like, maybe like, I maybe even go back like three paragraphs. I go back and like, do it again. Fine. You know, like, yeah. Cause you definitely want to process those things. Um, so yeah, so those are like, those are on the like reading more books side of things. Um, another thing too, I'd recommend is like, um, like this is kind of obvious to a lot of you, if you've spent a lot of time studying like productivity and habits and best practice and so on, but like set a reading goal. Um, and like, and even if it's like reading like a page, you know, per day, but like add one more page per day. So it like it bypasses the amygdala so it's easier to do. Um, and like make sure it's daily. It's really hard to make habits stick that aren't daily. Like daily habits are just way easier to, to get to stick. Um, okay. So there's a separate category now um, I want to switch to, which is basically how do you retain more of what you read and how do you actually like integrate it um, into your world models so that you can be more effective, right? Um, so um, this is where I, before I go into this though, I want to emphasize like the most important thing by far is like just read more books because basically almost, what most people do is like they over, they're like, oh, I should take really good notes and, um, and taking good notes is important, but like, it's not, it, it, you can, you can, you can be mid curve about taking good notes where like you just end up not reading at all because you over, it's like overthinking your workout, right? If you overthink your workout, then you're not going to go to the gym. And like the most important thing to like get big is like, just Gross. go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> just go. If you go to the gym every day, you're going to get big. It's as simple as that, right? If you read a book a day or you read like, you know, like an hour a day or half hour a day, whatever it is, like you're going to get smart. It just, it is that simple. Sometimes things can be really simple. And if you just like spend that much time every day hanging out with the smartest, wisest people of all time, teaching you their best, like all their wisdom, then like, you're just going to be wise. Like you are like, if you read a book a day or even an hour, half hour a day, whatever, like you're going to be wise. There's just no world in which you're not wise after 10 years of doing that. <laughs> um, so, so don't overthink it. So that's the first thing. Now I'm going to give you a bunch of things that you can overthink. Um, because, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about like, how do you increase the amount of content you retain? All right. So I'm gonna start with first, like a, Okay, so first, the high-level principle is that you have to actively engage with the content, but that's kind of obvious, right? Like, I mean, everyone knows that. Like, you know, you need to actively engage with it. You don't want to be the passive, like, but like, okay, so how do you actively engage with it as easily as possible? Um, the best hack that I've come across is that you need to like remember to actively think about the content that you're reading. Um, so, okay, so there's basically two separate types of things that I do. The first one is that I take lots of voice notes. <clears throat> um, I've taken like, I've, I've had like a million different voice systems that, I, that I've used over the years. Um, and I found that the, the best one that works, it's actually really simple. It's delightfully simple, in fact. Um, so you've probably heard these quotes, like to learn more deeply, teach. 
There's no question that if you te have to teach somebody what you've learned, like you have to actually understand it. And somehow magically, it just forces you to like really deeply understand it. But okay, but who do you teach? Like, well, it might not be easy to figure out who to teach. Um, there might be a bunch of inferential gaps where like you have to explain like a whole bunch of priors before you can even teach them and, 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 and right? And you have somebody there to teach and so on, but you can teach yourself in the future. So what I do is whenever I, um, whenever I, I listen to something that is like, seems like, hmm, that seems like something that like might be useful to remember in the future. Um, what I do is I take a voice note to myself. Um, so I, I hit play and then I'll just explain it in my own words, that thing that I just learned. Um, and it might be anywhere between like 10 seconds to like, you know, 40 seconds. Um, and, you know, actually I'm realizing I should, I should, before I go into uh, these, I should talk a little bit more about like selecting books because if I switch to like processing, then yeah, I'll have to come back to it. So let me give you a couple of quick tips on how to select books. One of the most important things is that like, um, so you have to probably spend more time actually, most people don't spend nearly enough time like considering which books to read. They just like randomly get recommended a book by somebody and then they just like decide that like they're gonna finish that book. Uh, and that, that's not the right way to go about it because most books you shouldn't finish. In fact, um, so um, my friends are, uh, my friends are readers. Um, like everyone that I'm close friends with reads a lot. Um, and out of all my friends, I don't have a single friend who on average finishes more than maybe 40% of the book on average that they read. So like 40% of books, maybe they finish or they finish like 40% of each book. Um, because most books, like think of a book like it's a menu. Um, and like each book is like a menu of like food that you can order. And like each chapter is different. <clears throat> um, and so, so it's very important to like open up the book, like read the cover, read the back of the book, Look through the table of contents. The table of contents is actually really information dense. They tell you what these chapters are about. And most people don't do that. Most people, you know, if it's like a narrative nonfiction book, they might not tell you really anything about it or it's fiction. A lot of these things I'm talking about, by the way, these, these apply to um, more to uh, nonfiction than to fiction. Uh, fiction, if you want to read fiction slowly and savor every bite of it, like rock on, you know, you, like speed eating food doesn't really make sense either. I still personally enjoy reading fiction quickly. Um, I just actually enjoy it more at three acts than I do, you know, at slower speeds. Um, but like, you know, if you don't want to do that, cool. They are, they are different um, in terms of the goal set. Um, although I think fiction actually plays a really important role too. I don't think fiction is entertainment either. I think fiction is basically like empathy training. Um, it's like a really compressed version of like going inside other people's minds and like lifting heavy weights in terms of like deep emotional empathy of like what it looks like to be in these people's perspectives, which actually gives you like builds your empathy muscles. Um, so you can then make better predictions about how other humans will think and feel and act. Um, and like, I, I actually start off with fiction. I didn't read nonfiction when I was a kid. I read thousands of fiction books. Um, right. I, <laughs> and I think fiction is really, really, really important for that. Um, yeah, there's, there's many different types of knowing too that we're, you know, nonfiction, we're very focused on the propositional knowledge but to your point, this empathy training, there's, you get you get perspectival knowledge on what it's like to be these people in these places in these times. Um, and that I think too, which is another topic for another day, but that speaks to the importance of, you know, religion, wisdom, traditions, mythologies, because they do a lot of the same thing. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, and a myth is like a, is, a myth is like a, uh, we're, we have to say, we're, we'll save myths for yeah. later conversation. Yeah, that's a whole rabbit hole. That's a whole rabbit hole. But, but yeah, so, so with, yeah, with fiction, you're basically, it's like multi-perspectival training. Um, and like, you know, every character whose mind you go into, like the author, let's say the average um, fiction um, story, if it's an adult fiction, let's say the, the author lets you into five people's minds, like on average per story. Um, that's like five separate people that you have like lived vicariously as, you know, for like minutes to hours. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah, just heavy duty, like empathy, um, weightlifting. So anyway, the high level thing is like, if you don't like a song, you skip it. 
If you don't like a book, you should skip it. And very importantly, you should not read a book from start to finish. Um, I mean, you will read a lot of books from start to finish, but you should always consider first before you start reading the book, like, like what are the, like you should at least, and try to say this out loud yourself if you can, like go to the table of contents and like really reflect on like what information is in this book. Cause I can't even tell you how many times I've made this mistake of like, I got, I, I stopped reading a book pretty quickly because I was not enjoying it. And it's just because the author, like that particular chapter was like too basic for me um, or something. And I just gave up on the whole book instead of just like skipping that chapter, which I could have easily done if I would have just looked at the table of contents and then realized that that chapter was never going to be interesting to me. They tell you in the table of contents, if you're going to like the chapter, or if you have any chance whatsoever of liking the chapter. Um, so yeah, I can't emphasize enough the importance of like really like spending at least like two minutes in the table of contents to make sure, just think of every book as like a bunch of blog posts. And like, you wouldn't give up on a blog necessarily if like you read like a few you know pages and didn't like that blog post. You might, you might like scroll through and look at the other blog posts to make sure that like there wasn't other you know blogs that like look more interesting, right? Like when you start reading, you start listening to, um, you know, what is money? Like you don't just necessarily start with the first episode and go. Like you like browse and look for the ones that seem kind of interesting to you and you, you download those, right? Or maybe you download the new ones that come in, but you don't usually start with that necessarily, right? Anyway, um, so the key thing is like skip the things that aren't good because also a lot of books suck. Like they're fluffy, low signal garbage because they were like, there's all kinds of like perverse incentives in the publishing industry where people like want to pad their word count for various reasons. And they take like a book that should have been, you know, 200 pages and they extend it out to three and four and 500 pages, which by the way, a fun hack is that you find books that are non-traditional length they're more likely to be good because typically like the author like had to violate the rules on how long to make the book, which is actually good because like, if it's like a, a if you're like, if it's like a random house or like a major publisher, they're going to like try to fit you into a few buckets that all the books are like the same length. And if you see a weird number of pages, it's like oftentimes a good sign. So, cause they had to decide on it. Um, another idea is like, basically, um, when you're, again, this is also like, when you first start off in your profession, one thing that people are trying to do a lot is trying to figure out like, how do I get good mentors? Um, and, uh, like one mistake that people make all the time is that like, they don't like, if you should read at least three books about your chosen field before you try to find mentors at all, because you're going to get absolute shit mentors. If you haven't even read three books about your field, because even if you get a meeting with somebody who could be a good mentor for you, like you're going to ask them dumb questions that like are going to scare them off because they're going to be like, man, I really don't want to have to explain to you the basics of how this stuff works. Like the best people, their time is really valuable and they don't want to, they don't want to be, do, they don't want to be teaching like economics 101. Nobody, like nobody who's like the top in their field, like no, like Nobel prize winning physicist really wants to be teaching physics 101, right? If you ask them one-on-one questions, they're not going to want to spend time with you. So an example of this is like, so a buddy of mine, he basically, he's like really, really smart, um, really hardworking. Uh, he basically had a bunch of failed startups in a row. Like one of those guys who was so close to being rich, but wasn't rich um, because he just couldn't quite get to the finish line and even startups. He's like, all right, I'm serious. Like I'm starting a family. I really need to like make money now. I'm going to go into real estate and do it. And he's like, I'm going to start by using mentors and so on. I was like, wait, wait, before you do, read 40 books. He, he reads a lot too. So this isn't like a day. So I, was, I was like, read 40 books about real estate investing. And then the way you use mentors is like, that way you'll have, like, remember in real estate, like read a real estate book, like some guy spent his whole life becoming world-class at like a very specific type of investment strategy. Like he does like apartment syndication or he does like multifamily in this specific niche or whatever. Like that guy will, you know, a lot of people like, especially at the end of their career, either to build their brand or at the end of their career, they want to give back. Like they write a book where they compress their entire lifetime's knowledge into like a how-to manual for how to like invest in this kind of stuff, right? So go read like 40 books on real estate investing. And then the way you use mentors is have them basically help you with very specific situations that you can't get from a book. So for example, like you're considering buying a short sale, like a property and there's got, it's got some hair on the deal. And you're not quite sure if this is like too messy if you get involved with this. And there's this one weird clause in this contract and you've got this mentor. You don't want to ask him like, what's kind of, what kind of houses should I buy? Ask him, is the seller trying to fuck me with this weird clause? 
and he might be like, oh my God, run away from that deal, run away, you're getting scammed. And like, but it's not kind of thing you would have read in a book. It's like too niche, right? It's like, that's the kind of thing where like, you wouldn't know that unless you'd read the bunch of books. And then you ask that mentor, that very specific question, just like a consultant would. So that's how I've used mentors in my life is like people that are like tactically useful for very specific things. Um, and they can answer very quickly. And then if you ask people, by the way, if you ask people like, yes, no questions, um, like almost everyone will answer like a thoughtful yes, no question. Um, and that's how I always used to do when people wanted me to mentor them. I always said like, send me yes or no questions via email and I will answer them. And yeah, it's like a good way to prove because it forces them to like do the thinking in advance, frame the question the right way. And if you can get really good mentors, you just send like powerful people, like uh, really well, like framed yes, no questions. Cause they're so mm. easy to answer. They take longer to read and they can just answer yes, no, instead of having to like, yeah, it takes a lot more work to like write up a paragraph or something like that. So anyway, that's, so a, that's, great, like that's a, a great idea. Actually forcing the, the yes, no question is kind of a forcing function so that they do the work in advance of throwing it all over the fence to you. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a really, really good piece of advice. Before we get too far off of the book selection, I just wanted to throw in one other thing here. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's called How to Read a Book is the title. Um, and it's excellent. And it gives you this little strategy for sort of going through the table of contents. I think it also suggests going through the index before you decide um, if you're going to read a book or which chapters of the book you're going to read. And I found that to be very useful to get around the issue you're describing where you pick up a book and you go through it you know, cover to cover, you might get burnt out in chapter one and want to toss it out and be done with it. And you might miss a lot of gold, golden nuggets in the back. Whereas if you go table of contents index, you get an idea of ideas that you're looking for from that book, then you can sort of, I can jump in and maybe check out chapter three, chapter seven, and chapter 11, which look like they make sense to me or they, or the index said there are terms that I find useful there. And that, like just that simple permission of being able to approach a book in a non-linear way, I think has been tremendously liberating for, for my reading habits. Yeah, 100%. Another thing you can do that I find really useful is um, uh, basically we pick up the book and like flip to like 10 random pages in the book, read the first sentence of one of the paragraphs. And then if you've done that and you're bored, don't read the book. You're probably not going to like it. Um, because it's like a good kind of random sampling. Because remember the, the topic sentence, the first sentence of every paragraph is the highest information density sentence on average of the whole paragraph. Um, and so if, if you took like 10 random topic sentences and you were still bored and like not that interested, then like you're not gonna like the book. Um, so I found that to be useful. Another thing I do is like, I spend a lot of time um, on Amazon and Goodreads, especially Amazon. So be like people who like this also, like people who read this, bought this also bought is like my go-to place to find new books. Um, and um, one thing I also do, so I, I spend a lot of time like clicking around, like click on book, look at the other recommended books or the books that other people bought. Um, I also, I, I, I put a lot of stock in the, so obviously you read the description of the book. Um, you can find out like, is this an advanced book? Is it a basic book? Um, and then also uh, reviews. Specifically, I don't read five-star reviews and I even try to avoid reading four-star reviews. I mostly look for one to three-star reviews because I want to see, because most people... Most people don't know enough about a topic to be critical of it. So whatever, and also so the problem with the review system for how all, all review systems work is that people only really write reviews for books that they finish reading. And so that's why almost every book has about four stars on Goodreads and four stars on Amazon because only people who finished it, like leave the review. Um, and so they're not very useful because these are people who like the book that are writing the review. So you need to find the people who didn't like the book. And so you have to find the like one to three star reviews. And then what I do is I read the one to three star reviews and I specifically look for like criticisms of the book that make me want to read the book more. So for example, if they, if they, if they complain about a book, like let's say they complain that a book is um, uh, like too, too much jargon, but it's an area where I already have plenty of jargon. Like I, I'm, I'm, that's not a problem for me. That's actually good because it means it's targeted at a more advanced audience in that area. Then that's great. But if I'm new to that topic area, then too much jargon might be like a, a negative thing. Right. Um, 
so anyway, so I look for criticisms and make me want to read it more. So for example, like, uh, like if, if I, if there's a nonfiction book, that looks good, but then like somebody leaves a two-star review and they complain that it's, it's too character driven and like too many details of the characters' lives, like their favorite whiskey and their hairstyle and things like that. That's like a huge, like, oh, thanks for, thanks for warning me. I do not want to read books like that anymore. Um, I'm just not in that, that, that kind of stuff is like kind of fluffy and low information for the kind of stuff that I'm interested in reading right now. So like, that's like a, that's how I know that's a good sign that I shouldn't read that book. I'm not going to like too, too much narrative, not enough nonfiction. Right. So, so I find reviews really, really useful, um, for selecting books as well. Um, another thing too, is like a really, really important idea. This is like another one of those things. I think it's like a very, like, it's much more like a right curve take that like I used to, I would have disagreed with when I was like more mid curve, um, is like, just read whatever's interesting to you until you have a habit of reading. And, and to some people that sounds obvious, some people that sounds wrong, but you should read like things that are useful in your career or like help you achieve your goals. But like, seriously, the most important thing is to build a habit. And uh, if it's interesting to you, then it's what you should be reading. And if it's fiction, read fiction. If it's like narrative nonfiction. So I've noticed one pattern is that a lot of times people get, they get started with like fiction and they go from fiction to narrative nonfiction, which is kind of like half fiction, half nonfiction. You know, it's still story-based and you know, it's books like Bad Blood and you know, like things like that, right? It's still very much a story, but it's like true story um they go from like fiction to narrative nonfiction to like proper nonfiction to like more scholarly academic like nonfiction, and then eventually you end up at math they're like i need to understand the fundamentals of how this stuff is working um but don't start with math don't start with like the dense stuff what what happens i've noticed is like let's say you're reading history so i read a lot of history and like i noticed when i first start like i just want the stories like give me some good stories about things that happened in the past right then eventually i'm like man i have the, i have I've, I've seen so many instances of like you know, a revolution leading to like the peasants burning the like local uh, like um, like record books, and like that seemed weird to me when I first started studying history. Like, why would the peasants? The first thing they do is like go to the local courthouse equivalent and like burn the records. And I realized like, oh, well, it's taxation. Um, it's like, right. like if the state knows who you are and like knows how much property you have, then like the state can tax you. But the state can't tax you if they don't know who you are and how much property you have. So like that's a way like because a large percentage, if not most, revolutions in history were tax related oh, yeah. um, and so that, that actually like makes sense but like if you don't know that pattern then it seems kind of weird and random that like they're going to burn the records you know um so anyway so the pattern though is i mentioned is that basically like you start off with like lots of stories and then you like you're really 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 hungry for a theory and then you got to go to you got to read some theory and that might mean that you got to read some like more dry books more academic books but like you'll be so hungry for theory that you'll be like yeah give me the comparative politics textbook um which will be great fun to you but only if you have enough of the priors to like find these academic models interesting and then the game theory and all the dry like the math will suddenly come to life if you have enough of a math background understand it but if you don't have the math background like the theory will still be interesting to you and so then you keep going back and forth in a cycle from like theory to experience theory to experience theory to experience stories and theory you have both in uh you know in, in the right ratios um another thing too is like basically um like, as far as like the importance of um motivation the reason why you want to start with things that you really enjoy reading is because like you just won't if you have to okay one one of the one a big red flag is you have to memorize things memorizing things is not good in general um because memorizing means you're basically like coercing yourself um and like it usually means that you weren't intrinsically motivated to remember it um not always though sometimes you gotta remember things you're learning a language like you gotta go and memorize like you know 500 words or a thousand words or something right you want to learn a programming language you gotta remember a bunch of functions and calls and things like that right um but like basically in general motivated students like don't memorize and unmotivated students have to memorize. And then the result is that like motivated students like remember and unmotivated students don't remember. Um, so I think that's like a, a, yeah, like, so yeah. Anyway, that's a one more thing. Um, and then uh, another thing I think is interesting is basically like imagine, I have to imagine that I'm like putting on a, um, a suit, like an Iron Man suit 
to try to gain like intellectual superpowers, right? So again, if you're trying to be like the smartest person in the world, like what does that look like? Like, so I think about like different types of superpowers and how they relate to learning. So for example, um, X-ray vision. So X-ray vision, you know, if you're a regular superpower, a superhero, like you can see through walls. Well, if you're an intellectual superhero, you can see through arguments. And one thing that I've noticed happens, and I can see this happening too, because with you and your conversation with your guests is that basically like if somebody makes an argument and you can see the skeleton, you can see the DNA of the argument that they're making. You can see like which claims they're making and they're resting their arguments on these claims. They're building this tower off these claims. And like you basically, the more that you read, the more you gain the ability to x-ray arguments, x-ray claims, x-ray facts. You can see the scaffolding behind them instead of just taking them as like their true self, right? So that's x-ray vision. Then there's strength. And what is intellectual strength? They're trying to be an intellectual superhero. Well, I think strength is like the willingness to be wrong. Right. Like when you see somebody who's huh. like, you're correct, I'm wrong. Does that make you think less of them? Or does that make you think more of them? Right. Like yeah. literally, like that is like really self-confident. And like you have to be willing to be wrong to learn. And so it's like a huge like sign of, of competency. And, and like, especially you know, so like you said earlier, the rate of change in the world is accelerating. I think mm -hmm. that intellectual humility is more and more important because by definition, you can't get your head around as much of what is going on as you as you could before right if the rate of change is increasing then you need to be in this state of humility constantly to optimize your learning really yep exactly exactly because you have to be picking up new skills faster like as if the rate of change is increasing exponentially then you have to be learning new skills exponentially faster too or you will fall behind like the frontier right um and all the money is made at the frontier right so if you want yes. to make money like you have to be at the edge and to be at the edge means you have to be able to keep up with the edge and almost yeah. everybody stops. Like some people like they get on the treadmill for a bit, keep up the edge and then they fall off and then they just stick with their existing skill tree and they don't keep building on new skill trees and uh, they become dinosaurs. And the only way to stay at the edge is to keep on running. It's a red queen race. You have right. to keep running faster and faster to stay in place. And that's why learning to learn and having the skill to build the other skills is like so fundamental to the other ones. And the, um, the, and strength, like, yeah. the strength to undermine your own views right to, to call your own existing mental model or theory into question is part of that learning process as well everything's provisional ultimately people that get really exactly. stuck to their ideas or their models and they become dogmatic about them that's where right. things go off the rail so um I, I like this analogy to strength yep another analogy although before i forget this one um one thing that also will keep you motivated to keep reading is like reading multiple books at the same time and then if you get bored with one book just switch to the other one so at any given point i have like a i have a current i'm reading um somewhere around like 50 to 60 books and i just like look at all the books that are i'm reading and i just like pick whichever one doesn't see, seems most interesting and i switch books many times throughout the day i probably switch like mm, uh eight times eight books per day so I just bounce around constantly to like whatever seems more interesting in that moment. Um, so I'd recommend doing that as well. That way, if you get stuck in one book, you can keep getting, keep your momentum going by switching books. Um, okay. We were saying though, but going back to what you're saying. So like another thing of like, think of like the intellectual superpower, like one common uh, superpower that superheroes have is the ability to absorb the powers of others. So what's the intellectual superhero version of absorbing the powers of others? And I think it's like downloading their skills, learning from them. You know, if, if they spent like 10 years mastering a skill that's useful and you can like learn from them and have that skill read the book that they wrote and then like master that skill like i consider that to be like a real superpower of the ability to like absorb the like superpowers of like other superheroes because every every person who's like the top of their field is basically a superhero there's like a narrow superhero they're only good at like this one thing they've got like one trick they're like an x-man like an x-man who's got like their one thing they do but like you can be you can get all the powers if you like learn from them you know and that's what i think is i think that's cool that, that like motivates me anyway to like learn more is when i think yes. about it from like more superpowers
right? 100%. Um, and then another one too, I think about like, what's an intellectual superhero? It's like, okay, so most superheroes are like, they're fast. Um, they can either like, they can like fast travel or they can teleport or they can fly, um, like, or like the flash, they can run really fast, right? So what's the intellectual version of that? What's well, thinking? It's like thinking fast, right? It's like the faster you think, the faster you, your mind moves. I mean, you think about it, you're basically, my body is sitting here in zero dimensions um, and I go and drive in a car and I'm driving in one dimension, but like my brain can go in all dimensions. And like one thing you notice, one thing I find really inspiring is like, you know that feeling you get when you're, you're listening to somebody talk and like you can just see that like their brain is like going at like a million miles an hour mm-hmm. and you can just see all these decision trees unfolding in front of them and you can just see that they're like playing chess. Like they're playing 40 chess, you know, and everyone else is playing like checkers and like you just like... That is what I think the, you know, that's what happens. I notice like the more that I read, the more that I feel like I'm able to do that. The more that I feel like I can make predictions, like I'm having a conversation with somebody and like, I can like see the conversation pathways unfold in front of me. And I can like help to guide the conversation towards conversation pathways that are likely to be more useful um, and relevant and interesting um, because I see more dead ends because I've, I've like simulated that conversation tree out. And I think that's more like be a dead end. Um, like small talk is like, is a dead end pretty quickly. Um, so like, how do we get this away from small talk as quick as possible? And I used to do things like, I used to like, exhaustively A-B test uh, questions and conversations. Like I would like test out different questions, see which questions yielded more interesting conversations. Um, and um, because I, I thought I was like, well, I'm gonna spend like, if I spend, you know, uh, like three hours a day in conversations, three hours a day times three five days a year equals you very quickly get into like tens of thousands of hours. If I can increase the quality of the conversation by two X, then it's basically like living a double life. Like I get to live a whole nother life, you know, from that like increased quality of conversations. So anyway, that's why I think about like my intellectual superpowers, like for flight, like telepathy or teleportation speed and so on. That's one that resonates with me. And then another one too is telepathy. So telepathy is like totally a thing that cross flies really well. So like superheroes, some superheroes have telepathy. They can read your mind, right? Well, that's what reading does. Like the more like fiction that you read, for example, the more like nonfiction you read, like the more that you've like simulated what it's like to be like a, you know, I, I read a book about like a Mumbai slum dweller. And I have like some degree of empathy now with what it's like to be a 10 year old boy who's like a trash, like has a dangerous job in a Mumbai slum. And then I read another book about like a Victorian England, like, you know, housewife. And I read another book about, you know, and so basically every single person's head that you go into gives you the ability to like simulate the world from their perspective. And then you can make better predictions. So when you're, if you're trying to like sell a product or you're trying to, um, you know, just advancing your career, whatever it is, like you can make better predictions what the person's thinking and feeling, which is like telepathy in the real world. Like it doesn't have to be magical. Although I think it is magical. Um, I think it's good just for leadership of any variety too. Uh, there's this old quote from a, it was a Navy captain. He said, the job of the captain is to see the ship through the eyes of the crew. So you get this, and this is, this is part and parcel of everything we're saying here. This uh, idea of peering into the minds of others you get this synoptic integration with other people, other times, other places, other skills. And the more you can incorporate that into yourself, I mean, that, that is, that's the, uh, is it telepathy? Is that what you call yeah, it? Yes. Yeah, telepathy. Predicting the thoughts, right? And like I think the other part, the, the, uh, <laughs> the other thing I, I really like about it is travel actually it seems to me like reading and travel are two good ways yeah. to really put on these other lenses of other people's perspectives and, and enrich yourself yeah that's actually what i've been doing so for the past um four years so i exited my previous business um and uh my wife left me and it was like a like just incredible like shock of um like new experiences and uh and I decided that like, just to like get rid of all my shit, like all my possessions, go in a backpack, my two brothers. And we just started, um, travel. We've been traveling the world for four years now. Um, uh, we've hit like 60 something countries, um, just living out of backpacks. And, um, because, uh, I've just been completely obsessed with like maximizing novelty, um, intellectual novelty, aesthetic novelty, 
like trying to maximize, like fill up my beauty meter. Like I really care about beauty a lot. Like yeah. I care about like bringing as much beauty into my life as possible. And so going to beautiful places, like we just got back from Lisbon, which was is a beautiful city, you know, like all going around Europe. Um, it's also amazing, by the way, most people can travel, but they don't because they just don't realize how to do it well. Like it doesn't actually have to cost very much money. Um, I was actually spending less money um, traveling than I did when I was living in Chicago and San Francisco. Um, because yeah, it doesn't have to be expensive. And yeah, like and traveling is like, Basically, like if you want to travel without leaving your body, then you read a book. And so you can travel intellectually and you can travel physically. And like, I like doing both. So I was traveling on the world and just reading probably averaging for the last four years, like about two books a day um, because I've got more time to do it because I don't have like a full time, um, you know, I, I take, I'm taking learning seriously. So it's not, you know, anyway, so yes, I totally agree though. Like it's, it's like a giant, like creative whack pack of like novel connections that your brain makes when you're moving yourself intellectually and physically. Yeah. Well said. Um, yeah. So another thing too, is, um, basically like taking the crossing the idea of compound interest to compound learning. So everyone who's got enough of the investment mental model stack knows that like, you need to maximize your compounded returns over time. Like you want to be Warren Buffett. It's easy. Just start with like some money and then compound at 2% above the S and P for like 50 years. Uh, and then you too can be uh, as rich as Warren Buffett. Now in practice, you know, beating the S and P by 2% per year, um, you know, on average for decades is very hard to do. Um, <clears throat> but it's not as hard to do from a learning perspective. Um, and so if you start taking the idea seriously that you can compound at a higher rate than your natural rate, it's actually much easier to do it in terms of learning than it is to do in terms of money. Because in the money, you have to compete with the market. And competing with the market is really hard because the market is really smart because you're competing against the collective wisdom of like millions and millions of people. But with learning, you're only competing against yourself. And you're competing against the fact that nobody else really learns, um, like no one else is really actively learning. And so um, it's just much easier to like quickly race by people in your field um, because most people are just totally inert. Like they don't try to self-improve. They just go through the motions. They show up for work. Um, they like kind of half-ass it. Some of them like whole ass it, but most don't, right? Most just do enough to like not get fired. Um, and so if you whole ass it um, and you like work really, like really hard on like growing your skills and growing yourself, then you just expand. And that's one thing you mentioned like about travels. I feel like, I feel like every book I read, I feel like I, I'm like, I just get larger as a person where like my consciousness expands. And I feel like I'm almost like, I'm like, like it's like kind of like the idea of like standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, mm -hmm, like everybody mm -hmm. is like another like giant that I've climbed on top of like, right. Oh, you step on top of Newton, you step on top of Kepler, you step on top of Galileo. And I'm just like climbing higher and higher up the stack. So I can like see further into the distance. Yeah. Um, and most people like they could do that, but they don't, they don't have the motivation they don't have the energy or they don't have the knowledge of like how to build their systems in a way that they can like actually do that. So they just get, they get dragged down by like the day-to-day -day struggles of like health issues and relationship issues. And like, they just haven't got enough momentum to get to that point where like they can like climb to the top of that intellectual pyramid. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Just because that's really how culture is built, right? It's we just come into the world, learn some things, hopefully contribute to the collective body of knowledge and then we die. And then someone can then access our distilled wisdom via books or whatever it may be. And then they can go further and the process repeats. And that's how we got here. That's how we got to the digital age. Exactly. And like, we would never have been friends, you know, like a hundred years ago because we would right. have been only friends with the people who lived in our village. Um, right. and, and so there's this acceleration of the fact that like, you can, you can go, to, it's easier to find the frontiers of human knowledge. So I like to imagine myself as like, imagine like there's a river, like cutting through, um, there's like a river of like humanity. That's like carving out pathways and like, you know, growing wider and wider. It's just more humans. We make more progress. And like, each of us are just like individual water molecules. Like I'm an individual water molecule. And I'm like trying to carve out like a new pathway through the rock. And I'm like banging my head against the rock, trying to like carve out a new channel. So I can hopefully create a new giant tributary where I've contributed by like identifying, you know, like creating a new scientific 
field or like creating a new industry or something. Like I want to be the next Satoshi in some ways, right? Like Satoshi is such an inspiration because Satoshi is a perfect example of like, if you're just like, if you're smart enough and you have a broad enough array of interests, because, you know, Satoshi was obviously brilliant and he obviously was able to like cross apply ideas from a bunch of different industries. And then he created like one of the most important like combinations of ideas in history. And then that was the spark that led to a like a revolution of like creativity being unleashed. And sometimes like if you if you just yeah, like Satoshi, like like you know that dude read a lot. Like you know that dude was like sitting there like like you know, every day at his computer, and he was just like curious about a lot of things. And he was just reading tons of random papers and reading tons of random books and tons of random blogs. And like like you know that dude didn't just come up with that idea out of nowhere. Like he was consuming a lot of like smart people's ideas for a long time before that particular combination of ideas finally coalesced in his mind. Yeah, and to the point of this having very practical results, you know, Satoshi, if he or they is still alive, it's he is one of the highest liquid net worths in human history, right? Just a guy that put pulled together a lot of different ideas from different domains and then implemented them into this solution called Bitcoin. Yep. Pretty fascinating. And that's true. You monetize, you can monetize wisdom. Like Satoshi was like one of the white, clearly one of the wisest people in the world. Um, and he was able to recognize so many, he's at the frontier of like many different important fields. He was either at or near the frontier of like, you know, a half dozen different fields. And like, you had to be the frontier of like those exact combination of fields in order to do that. And yeah, he directly converted that into like real money. Um, and that's proof that it the works. realest money. You know, <laughs> yeah. What? The realest money there's ever been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, that's like a bunch of like, um, and then one thing I can't emphasize enough is the importance of like how the internet has transformed learning to where like, you don't just have to like learn from a person anymore. The fact you can learn from the best teacher in the entire planet about that idea, like it's just accelerating human progress massively because basically you think about like explanation debt. So I think about like, okay, just like you have technical debt where if you don't like, um, if you don't build your infrastructure the right way, then you have to like fix it later. Um, uh, explanation that is basically like, if you sit in a classroom with like 30 of your peers and your teacher explains something and only half the kids get it, it's basically like incurring a bunch of explanation debt. Um, but if you had the best teacher in the world explain it and all 30 kids got it. So you, you spend an hour explaining a concept um, and there's 30 kids in that room. Uh, then if all 30 of them got it, then it was like, it was, it was efficient, right? If only half of the kids got it because the teacher did a bad job explaining it, then it was like minus 15 hours of total amount of time. And the internet has like dramatically reduced explanation debt because the best content rises to the top, right? Like the best writers on YouTube are like the best writers in the world. Um, and they're incentivized to compress the ideas down to the smallest, most information dense units possible. Um, and so it's worth like spending a lot of time to find like the best teacher of the content um, because it pays humongous dividends. Um, because like basically like, take TED Talks, for example. Take TED Talks versus a, a standard classroom lecture because TED Talks are basically like lectures from the teachers that we wish we had in school. Because you're taking like the one of the best people in their field talking about the most exciting thing happening in their field and they're explaining it in a way that has been like, you know, they put a lot of work into that lecture and it's just a, it's a super dense information payload to like trigger curiosity about that field. You know, it's not intended for you to be anything more than like an introduction to like maybe an exciting like um, research area, um, but it's like the perfect tease for like getting to the frontier of that field. And so it onboards a bunch of people into that like particular funnel. So then, then maybe one day we become like a biomedical researcher because they saw a TED talk one day that like made them think like, wow, like the microbiological world is really cool. And like, I would like to study that. Um, so basically I think like the internet is like in many ways, it's a rocket ship for the curious, but it's also a tabloid for the non-curious. 
because the internet can be whatever you want it to be, right? And if you're like using it to like learn as like aggressively as possible to like build your skills, then it's like a rocket ship, right? You can go to the moon intellectually, you know, and you can become an intellectual like Warren Buffett. Um, but like most people just go on Instagram and they look at like fashion and, uh, and you know, and like very statusy oriented things. And I think that like has its place too. Like my current steel man for that is that like, you know, raising your status is actually like critically important, like from an evolutionary, you know, like biological perspective. Um, and so like status, Instagram is basically like status teaching. It's not so much intellectual, but it's status teaching. And so if you like, you learn how to like raise your status in different groups and like that's useful as well. And I think society um, benefits greatly from having, basically I used to think that like fashion was all silly um, and like kind of pointless and just like a waste of time. But then just thinking again, go back to the idea of like thermodynamic allowance and like humanity spent like, I don't know, let's say it's like 10 to 15% of his entire thermodynamic allowance on like fashion and like style and beauty. And like, was that all a waste throughout all of human history? Cause it's been really common that people like say that like, oh, like, you know, fashion is a waste. Um, but like, that's a pretty expensive thing to be wasteful of. And yes. I was thinking about it more, I was like, maybe what's going on is that like, you know how when you go in a company, like every, like there's like, there's, um, there's real important information conveyed in people's titles. Like, you know, that somebody's like VP of engineering um, versus like the VP of marketing, like, so the, the hierarchy, where they're in the rank, like which department they're in, like, and, and it's, you wouldn't think of that as being like pointless, like, you know, status games, right? You think it was like, oh, that's like how you efficiently organize like a company. It's like, you need to have like clear, like chains of command and you need to have clear responsibility for different areas and you need to have visible expertise. So I know that like, you know, I've got like an IT problem I call IT, right? And I specifically call the like InfoSec guy, I've got this issue and so on. And I think all of society basically works the same way. And that's why people spend a lot of energy and time on fashion because fashion is like basically like you saying, like, think of like you go to a hospital and the nurses all have different, you know, like their scrubs are different colors. You can find out like, oh, that's an ICU nurse. Like that nurse is like, her specialty is this and her, that nurse's specialty is this. Um, and then you have like a rank order of like how experienced they are because like you want to triage. Somebody comes into the gunshot when you got to triage right away. And whether it's like doctors clothes or lawyers or it's plumbers or whatever it is, like it's a way to like quickly, and you see this in military too, like military ranks, you want to find out who the bomb disposal guy is if you need to quickly find that out, right? So right. anyway, I think increasingly like a lot of fashion is basically just like, it's a way to very quickly visibly see like what somebody's expertise is, what their interests are. You can make a lot of predictions about them as a person by just seeing what clothes they wear. Yeah. And it's like really information theoretically efficient to yes. like communicate with your clothes, like what kind of person you are, like what you mm -hmm. believe, what your values are, where you live, um, religion obviously is a big example of this. Like if you were, if somebody's wearing a yarmulke, you know, they're Jewish, mm -hmm. you can make tons of predictions about that. Mm -hmm. If you know, they're Jewish, right. And if you're a Jew, you can trust them more because they're the same religion or, you know, you can trust the Muslims more if you're Muslim, trust the Christians more if you're Christian, mm -hmm. um, which means you can with them, you can coordinate with them, et cetera. So I increasingly think fashion is like basically playing that same role of like badges that communicate really valuable information, um, which helps us coordinate more efficiently so that we can build larger and larger polons. We can build like taller hierarchies. We can like yes. space fill you know. Right. Yeah. No, no. It's a great point. I've thought a lot about this too, from a slightly different angle. Um, but I agree on the point of it economizing, uh, human intercourse, let's say, right. We can just flow together more easily when you can quickly know, Oh, that's a cop. That's a fireman. That's a waitress, whatever. Um, but also I think there's maybe something deeper in that this kind of gets into the sapiens hypothesis a little bit where, you know, obviously humans construct these stories and useful fictions that we live within, you know, money, nation states, companies, all these different, they're just uh, imagined things really. But then we yep. use clothing as like a visual representation of our position in those imagined structures. Like often you wear a certain thing to go to work or you wear a different thing to go out at night. It's contingent on what actual event you're engaged in at the moment. And so it's very, it seems like it's, they're almost 
indispensable. Like to the extent we have human hierarchies and imagined orders, we're going to have clothing that is a, again, a, a visual manifestation of, of our position within those, those structures. Exactly. It's just super information dense and it tells you the, it tells you the altitude where you're at in, and it tells, it tells you what hierarchy you're in. It tells you what altitude you're at in that hierarchy. And it even tells you like what the subclasses of the hierarchy are. Cause usually every hierarchy is fractal, right? So there's like hierarchies when hierarchies and hierarchies inside a company, you've got like the C suite, the CEO and the C suite and the VPs of the major divisions. And then you've got the regional managers and so on. And like being able to know somebody's like longitude and latitude inside that hierarchy is actually really valuable from an information perspective to, so that we can coordinate better. Oh. Um, although I'm realizing I got off topic for that, that's, that's going to open up a whole new thing. So yeah, that goes into the mythology <laughs> thing too. I mean, talk about that, like, how do you actually retain the stuff yet, which is obviously really important. And most people don't retain any, very much of what they learn. Although one thing people, one mistake people make <laughs> all the time is they think, well, if you can't say in words what you learned from the book, you didn't learn anything. And that, like that, I used to believe that too. I used to think like, well, if you can't, if, if you read a book and you can't explain to me like anything you learned from it, then you didn't learn anything from it. And like, now I think that I was kind of, that was sort of a mid-curve take. Like um, there's tons of things that you can know, but not be able to say in words. I think all art is basically like, if you're at the frontier of art, like even those artists can like say what they're doing. Like, that's no, what, they're that's what poetry is, right? It's yeah. you're at the, at, where words cannot go. You're kind of using words to point to that domain. Right. Like by the time you can say something in words, you already had to like, get you had to like that, that's like further back in the process like the frontier always is wordless and then words come later when you explain what it is that you already figured out like subconsciously um and, and i think what happens is like you just even when you read you can't explain it like you get exposed to a lot of ideas you know like you get exposed to a lot of worldviews a lot of perspectives you get exposed to a lot of possible like situations that might happen to you in the future um where you can then like contend with like more efficiently because you have this vicarious experience that's the fundamental principle is like reading gives you vicarious experience like you just get to live more and more and more lives so that eventually when you have to face a similar problem, you're like, I've seen this plenty of times before. And like, well, have you? Right. It's like, well, not my physical body, but you know what? Like I vicariously experienced this so many times because I read so many biographies of so many heroic, like, you know, role models that like, I kind of feel like I've been here before. And so I kind of feel like I know what to do and I'm not just, I'm not spitballing it and I'm not winging yeah. it. So anyway, so I think it's kind of a mid-curve take to think that like, if you can't say in words, you didn't learn anything. That being no, said- it's good to say in words if you can. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that no, that's a great point. And, but I do agree. Even in my own learning experience, it feels that way. You kind of have this. There's an author that called it a dim apprehension of things. I don't know the exact quote. You have these dim apprehensions about things, like an intuition about an idea. Like you can kind of feel how a, a, yep. a system might operate, but you can't get your you can't verbalize it. But over time, if you keep studying it, right, you keep reading other people, that dim apprehension might become something that you can articulate and explain. Um, that's what it feels like to me anyways. It's not like you're, it doesn't come to you propositionally, typically. It comes to me intuitively. And then over time, you propositionalize around that intuition. Yep. Um, I want to be respectful of your time We're in our last kind of five minutes here. And we will do this again. I'm sure there's more content to go through. I know we have the mythology rabbit hole. We didn't even go into yet, uh, which I'm excited to talk about, but let me ask you just a couple of quick questions to wrap up here. Obviously you are doing a lot, uh, you know, trying to be this Olympian Olymp Olympic class learner, I guess you might say, how do you <laughs> schedule your day or how do you think about scheduling your day? If you don't, if you don't do it consistently, I know you've been traveling a lot. Are there staples to your routine every day that you try to do? Or, you know, how, how do you, how do you think about building your days? 
Yeah, I actually work super hard. Uh, I have a super regimented day. I wake up at the same time every day. I go to bed at the same time every day. I have lunch and dinner and breakfast at the same time every day. Because the only way you can travel for four years um, and be productive is if you have like really robust um, daily routines. Um, and I've got all these different like accountability systems and like checks. I have like, for example, my brother, who's my uh, co-founder and my partner. Um, we have like daily check-ins every day on the projects we're working on. I also have daily check-ins uh, with my girlfriend, um, Kat. And uh, so we have like different things we're working on. So for example, like every day with Drew, I've got like about, right now it's like five things every day. This is like actually about 80, 20 of all my productivity is comes down to like my daily check-ins. So for example, with Drew, I've got like five separate things I'm doing every day. So for example, one thing I'm doing every day is actually it's gonna be a long explanation. I can't do that right now because we only have five minutes uh, and I didn't get into any of the, I only talked about like the selecting books and reading faster part of it. I didn't even talk about the other, the two, the other two categories, which are how do you retain it? And then how do you apply it? Which is a whole lot more, which I won't go into yet. Anyway, so from a routine perspective though, um, I've got different things I'm working on. So for example, like my, what did I eat? Like, did I eat as healthy as I wanted to? I have like very specific things there. Um, I've got things related to like, did I work out? So I work out every day. Did I work out? You know, stuff like that. Right. Um, so I've got like five check-ins with uh, Drew and I've got four check-ins with Kat. Um, and then um, I basically, for the, a typical day for me is like, I, I get up and I go out and I basically work from cafes and restaurants throughout the day. So I'll go like do a cafe in the morning and then I'll do another cafe or restaurant uh, in the afternoon, usually with some, in some beautiful place, like a charming European square or like some like mountain view, whatever. And it depends where I'm at in the world, right? But I'm, I'm solving for beauty and different types of vibes. Um, and I'm mostly, I'm doing some combination of like working um, on making sure that we don't accidentally, like AI doesn't accidentally, accidentally lead to existential risk. Um, we're using bounties and prizes to incentivize technical research um, to ensure that we can like align the AI with our values. Um, and so, um, yeah, anyway, I've got like a, I've got like a daily routine that's like I'm every single day, part of my routine is to evaluate on the routine and make sure that routine is optimized. So, um, the result is that like, I, I read a lot because I don't waste time. I'm always, I basically always have headphones in my ears and I'm basically always listening to audiobooks or podcasts, or I'm reading them at my computer. Um, so I, you know, I'll bike around or I'll walk around, go exploring, go hiking, whatever, but I'm always listening and I'm always actively processing what I'm doing. I haven't got to the, how I ensure that I actively process because the big journey for me, the big S curve that's happened to me in the past, like five years in particular is like major breakthroughs and how to make sure that I'm mindful a maximal percentage of the day so that I can increase the amount of active engagement with the ideas, um, which I will explain. But anyway, that's the quick daily explanation. No, that's great. And then sort of related to that, you mentioned you do hiking or biking. I was going to ask you how much or how important is physical activity to your learning process or your daily routine? I know for me, it just, I think much more clearly after I've moved my body and gotten the juices flowing, so to speak, I actually even have a lot of creative insight when I'm exercising, which has been a nice side benefit that I didn't know was going to be a thing when I started working out many years ago. Um, what is your, I guess, what is the physical element of your training, if anything? And then also, do you do anything with like nootropics or anything of that sort, meditation or uh, maybe an actual herb, herbal nootropic, anything like that? Right. So, um, I totally agree on exercise. So physical exercise, mix of cardio, um, like anaerobic and aerobic. So basically I do like high intensity, um, just like a couple sets a day of different compound lifts to, I'm not trying to like fully, I'm not trying to, you know, be a bodybuilder or anything, but I, I still want to be strong. I, I'm basically trying to be like the most complete human possible. Like I want to maximize like all the dimensions of like health and wisdom, which means like eating healthy, um, like being physically fit, um, like appreciating beauty, appreciating art, um, intellectual progress, like, you know, like just all the different dimensions. Like I'm trying to like maximize all the, all them. And I work on different ones at different times. That's the, the high low principle. Like think of like the idealized, like Greek God, the philosopher's stone, the like, like what does perfection look like? And like, 
I'm trying to be the best human I can. So like, if there's any area where it's like, yeah, you know, Emerson, he's like, he's good at these areas, but like, man, he's fat, you know, or he's like out of shape or he's like, you know, he's not, you know, he doesn't, you know, he like, he doesn't appreciate, you know, like, like, then it's like, okay, well, that's the next thing to work on. Like, you know, being in shape. So that's like the high level principle of it. Um, from a creative perspective, like I totally agree. Oh my God. Like when I'm not working out, I'm just stupid. Like my brain's just not working. And I notice it like right away. I'm just like, oh, my brain is like, oh, so I guess we're, uh, we're taking the day off, huh? <laughs> and like, I just need to get up and move. My body's like, fucking move, man. You got to move. Like, you need to get the oxygen flowing. Like, you see how high energy I'm right now? Like, I, if I wasn't doing, if I wasn't physically fit, active, like, I wouldn't be, I'd be like, I'd be kind of sitting back in the chair and I'd be talking slower and yeah. I would kind of forget talking about a lot. Well, I do that anyway. But anyway, yeah. So, fitness, very, very important. Um, uh, let's see here. Other things that helped a lot. Um, so, from a, uh, so psychedelics really helped me. I, I haven't mm. used any psychedelics in years, but like I, I did in the past and they were really great from the perspective of like um, encouraging me to like step out of my existing boxes. I feel like they flattened a lot of my belief hierarchies um, in ways that were really good um, because they they encouraged me to like reflect more on what my values were. And there was a whole bunch of things. You mentioned like meditation. So like, yes, I have like, um, I, have, I have read and practiced a lot um, with different types of like, um, Eastern traditions in general. And actually that's what we'll talk about maybe next time when we have more time is like, basically what I was like, I was like, how do I apply all the best practices, um, from thousands of years of experimentation and innovation in mindfulness practices, um, and attention control, how do I apply all those best practices to rapid learning? And the result has been, and like that I, it's actually like, it's actually like crazy the percentage of the day that I'm mindful now when I'm reading where like my PFC is on and I'm able to like, I like basically, I feel like before I was sleepwalking. Um, like I was just asleep. Like I, I wasn't, I was, I would have observer moments every once in a while. Um, but I wasn't really there. I was mostly just like an NPC automaton that was like colliding with things randomly. And every once in a while I'll be like, Oh wait, should I be colliding with these things? And I can actually stop and pause and reflect. Um, but anyway, I've got a bunch of hacks that we'll talk about next time. Cause I, I tried everything and I like, yeah, anyway, a lot of experimentation, a lot of good stuff there. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of, um, of those kinds of practices as well. Awesome. Awesome, dude. Well, this has been a super insightful conversation. I'm excited for the next one too. Uh, excited to start implementing some of these techniques into my life personally. So thank you again. Um, could you let my audience know where they can find out more about you or your work? Yeah. So I'm pretty, I'm kind of invisible right now. I was more public early in my career um, when I was uh, CEO of um, dose.com. Um, now probably like at some point, I'm going to like start sharing more. This is actually the first, uh, HP Flat, this is the first podcast I've done in years. I've said no to every podcast for years now. Cause I'm basically just like, I'm doing the, the, the metaphorical, like, um, you know, like going in deep into the, the cave of like research. And then at some point I'm going to come out and like share, but I, yeah. but like, this was just unique because like, I just fucking love your show and it's the, I, the audience for this is like exactly the right kind of audience. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, this is going to be a fun conversation. All right. So, um, but like Twitter, like is probably the best place to follow me. I'm just at Emerson Sparts on Twitter. That's Emerson S P A R T Z on Twitter. It's probably the best place for now. Beautiful. Emerson. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, this is super fun.